fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final Welcome to the Fantasy Fullback Dive, coming to you in the morning, once again, getting your day started right. What what can I say? Uh, we're acting as your lead blogger to Fantasy Glory. We're paving the way to fantasy excellence. We're making all your football-related fantasies come true. And this is going to be an awesome show. Uh, obviously, I'm your host, Nat The Truth Jones, with me, as always, the Wolf of Rotor Street himself. Also, MOH coming back for the second time in three days. Uh, and it's a sleeper edition, folks. We're going... Uh, a couple couple picks from each position, pick 100 to 150, so that's rounds 9 through 12. Then we're also going to give uh, a couple picks from rounds 13 through 20, and then we're going to give a couple Hail Marys. And when I say we, I actually mean my uh, my fellow uh, host, guests, whatever you want to call them, because I'm just going to be listening, weighing in, and then using this information to draft because we have a sleeper draft going right now. Rotor Street Journal, and I'm going to uh, poach this information and make myself look a lot smarter than I actually am. Wolf, how you doing? Hey, Sean doing Hill's phenomenal. <laughs> doing phenomenal, sir. Doing phenomenal. Sleeper is always a exciting thing to talk about. It's always fun to plant your flags into the guys that are going after pick 100 and then just end up blowing up. When you get those right, they're just it feels a little bit more satisfying. Anybody can tell you, yay, Josh Allen's going to go crazy and get an early round QB, but to get those guys going after round 10, that's where you really win your money in these fantasy leagues, this best ball contest in your home leagues, when you hit that gem out of the park. So I, I'm pumped. I love these quote-unquote penny stocks that we go after. Mike, you got any You got any in, in, intro words, or you just want to get into the good stuff here? Uh, I was going to say something along the same lines as Wolf said. I mean, this is the spot where you win your drafts, just absolutely nailing a guy from this range – rounds nine through rounds 14. I mean, every single year there's someone who comes out of here that ends up being a real difference maker and nailing that guy can win you your league. So let's get into it. Well, who do you think is the best, just like ridiculous late round pick you've ever made in your esteemed career as a fantasy figure? That's like maybe like swung uh, an entire team or league. Yeah. Either one that, Go ahead. For me, that's pretty easy. I think it was the year Mahomes broke out, grabbing him in like the 14th, 15th rounds. Uh, it was a little later than he should have gone. I think he was going a little higher that year, but that's easy for me. Yeah, won me a league that year. Wolf? Yeah, that I mean, he stole it right out of my mouth. That year was one of – I think it was our second year of RSJ, and that kind of put us on the map. We were all in on Mahomes on that 2018 season, and we won a lot of people leagues and, and gained a lot of loyalty because of that. So there's no brainer. It's Mahomes for me was my, my best late-round pick. Uh, there's definitely been some tight ends and running backs too that – have really crushed it, but nobody, I mean, your last round pick is the league MVP. Nothing will ever top that sleeper. So that, that was the best one I've hit. Maybe we'll get another one this year though. My best pick ever was I picked Michael Vick with the last pick in the draft one year when he was uh, backing up. I think it was maybe Kevin Cobb at the time. Um, and he ended up being the starter like from week three on and was just like incredible. Also one time I picked Julius Thomas really late in the draft that when he had that one incredible year before he went to Jacksonville. So those are, those that are a couple of that that are hanging above my mantle. 
that was uh that same year i remember it was the, obviously peyton manning's blow up year where he he let broke all those records thomas was insane i i remember uh Cortland Sutton, or not Cortland Sutton now. What was the guy's name? Demarius Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. Just stacking that offense. That was a really good season for me. I didn't have much of Manning, but I had a ton of those pieces. Uh, even the running back. Was it no Sean Moreno that year? That I, I wanna, Was reserve? it him or Monty Ball? <laughs> I think it was Moreno that year. Monty Ball was the next yeah. and everyone expected greatness and he just kind of yeah. crumbled uh, yeah, that, yeah, that was a fun that. time. Those some classic sleepers to toss out there. Look at us digging deep at 9 a.m. I love this. <laughs> All right, let's get Great. into it. Let's talk about quarterbacks. Um, you're each going to throw out two guys. We're going to go one in the pick 100 to 150 range, and then uh, one we'll just call it in the very late range. And we're going to get started with the Wolf, and I'm, I'm excited about this. Uh, this is a guy who surprised everybody last year, probably even himself. So give us your pitch, Wolf. Yeah, so as you just kind of prefaced, what we're going to do for this sleeper, because we're going to toss a couple names out that you're like, Gibson, Geno Smith, that's not a sleeper. I've heard him. We're going to go in, you know, picks 100 to 120 or so at quarterback, 100 to 150 at running back, receiver, tight end. So there'll be some common names. We just recognize they're going at a quote-unquote sleeper price tag. So I just want to make sure the definition of sleeper is so kind of tossed out there. So making sure it's just defined for you guys. We're looking at after 100 guys that we think will really exceed their value. Uh, and we're going to go one kind of common name getting drafted in every round, you know, every draft you do. And then more of that, who could be on waiver wires come the season, who's going in those last rounds. We'll try to break our picks down that way. Uh, so making sure that's just clear from the top to define sleeper. My guy, as I was just alluding to though, Geno Smith. So a lot of you guys might be, Oh, it's a sleeper. What he, he was great last year. And sure he was quarterback five. In fact, last year, only outscored by Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen hurts and Joe Burrow. That's insane already off the bat that Geno Smith was better than everyone else not named those elite four. He's now going, though, as the quarterback 15 at pick 114 on Fantasy Pros. Similar price tag on underdog despite that impressive finish and despite his next season looking even better for 2023 because they add JSN, one of the most explosive slot rookies. I know you're an Ohio State guy, Mo, so you definitely know how damn good JSN can be. He outperformed. Olave and Garrett Wilson, the two young darlings, when they were on the field together. So this is an elite weapon to join it. I know he's got the wrist thing. He might miss three to four weeks. Maybe he's out till the week six bye. Doesn't matter. Geno Smith was QB5 without him. You add him in at whatever point this year, and it becomes maybe the best trio. Maybe. I think definitely the best trio if JSN hits the ceiling, a top five slot receiver the last decade, in my opinion. So this is going to be a ridiculous trio of receivers. He's looked the part, too. Until he got hurt, um, Jackson Smith, the Jibu did. So I really, really love the weapons cabinet. I think his situation is even better. And it's just, I get the hardest part for people to stomach, and maybe this is why he's falling down to PB15, is was it a one-year wonder? It's Geno Smith, after all. It took his entire career for him to finally have a good game. But I'm buying it. He looked great as a deep passer last year. Number one rated, in fact, by Pro Football Focus. Completed nearly 50% of his deep balls, 47.6%. 14 of his touchdowns on deep throws. And that's kind of the calling card of this Pete Carroll offense. It was the case with Threshold Wilson, those moon bombs. Nobody else could ever match what Russ was doing. You see him get removed from the system, and he's a joke. Geno comes into it, and he's great. So maybe Pete Carroll doesn't get the credit he deserves as well. Plus, he's a decent athlete, Geno Smith. 
ran for the eighth most rush yards, but just one rushing touchdown. If that goes to three to five rushing touchdowns, even more room for Konami upside there. So I love Geno Smith, QB 15. I think he's an absolute steal. And I, I could have shout out Daniel Jones. I just, he would have been my guy other than Geno Smith, but I talk about him every single podcast. But in case people are only catching this show for whatever reason, that's my flag guy of the year. That's my guy, Daniel Jones, also going in that same range. It's really the only reason I don't have a lot of Geno Smith right now because I do click Daniel Jones ahead of him, but it's one or the other for me. I love building my teams with eight to nine straight picks and then going after either Daniel Jones or Geno Smith. I think it's a fantastic strategy for 2023. Anyone placing bets in the podcast that had Daniel Jones getting a reference in the first eight minutes, uh, <laughs> the payoff is big. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> it's kind of a bet. Like I'm looking at the agenda and I'm seeing, oh, Geno Smith, Richardson, Brock mm-hmm. Purdy, and I was like, oh, he's going to slide a Daniel Jones plug or two in here. Like pretty much awesome not to. <laughs> All right, Mike. He's gonna be on the home this year, truth. It's it's as well, soon as I felt about a late QB in a long time. <laughs> real real quick though, Wolf, just without putting you too too much on the spot, uh, with this injury to JSN, how, how are you feeling about him? I mean, I know earlier before the injury, he was going fifteen to twenty picks ahead of the other top rookies like Addison, uh, especially in best ball. But uh what, where where are you putting him these days? Now that he might might be out a few weeks. I think it's a great talking point. I always thought his price tag was a little too inflated going at 55, 60. There's certainly the upside narrative there with him. I actually have very few shares though, and I'm hoping he starts to fall. He was already around my 78 to 80, and I don't know that I'll move him down that much. Yes, he might miss a game or two, but once he's back, he is going to be dominant. I love him. I actually had my first draft last night, uh, actual home league redraft. It was uh, our wives and fiancés leagues with my buddies and and our, our wives or fiancés. Great league, always fun. And I took JSN. I got him at pick like 110 or so last night. I absolutely am down to be scooping this guy up, especially because he'll probably be, if you have an IR spot, a guy that will eventually be labeled hurt and you can put into the IR. I'm still targeting him heavily, especially anytime if he's falling after pick 100. Bet on the talent. We've seen this with, I mean, it's a crazy comparison to toss out there, but look at Odell Beckham. Everybody knew he was a great prospect, comes in, has a hammy injury, he's going to miss the first four weeks, doesn't even get drafted in most leagues. And then, of course, he wins everybody who picked him up, me included, their league that season. I'm not saying he will necessarily be Odell, one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen, but again, he did outperform Olave and Garrett Wilson when they were all on the field together, so... I will absolutely buy whatever dip we get. I was never buying him as the top 60 pick, but anywhere after 75, I know we'll miss some time. And I still like that, that late season surge we could see out of him for sure. What about you, Mike? Uh, yeah, I agree. I wasn't really buying him much. I maybe had a handful of shares of him when he was going in the fifties, mm-hmm. but I like, like when you said you got him at 110, that obviously that's a steal, but uh, I agree some somewhere in the range of like 80, like 80 or so. I think he's a good value. I mean, I, I personally watched him at the shoe on the weekends, and that guy's something special. I mean, he can look make any receiver look like a second receiver. I mean, he just has the the talent to do it all. So I, I think he's a good good grab to buy him on the dip. Love it. All right, uh, my my first guy is Anthony Richardson. Um, I think he, especially when it comes to home leagues, where. Um, People might not be as sharp. I, I think he's a great steal. Um, he's kind of he's got a a big range of where he's being drafted. Some people don't believe him. Some people want to take that stab pretty early on. But for right now, he's going at the nine ten turn, hit QB fourteen off the board. But I, I think he's got the potential to absolutely smash that price. I mean, first let's just talk about the physical build. He's 
Cam Newton, but he's faster. He ran a four four forty at the at the combine. I mean, he's just a freak of nature. He had a ten point zero zero relative athletic score, the most athletic QB to ever come out of college since like the eighties. It, it's absolutely insane. So first off, I want to talk about is what his performance could be strictly with his rushing capabilities. Um, he went for, or I don't remember how many yards he had at Florida, but. Uh, what I've got written down here, uh, every quarterback who's reached uh, 700 rushing yards in the last five years has finished as the QB 10 or better. He hit the 700-yard mark in just 12 games with Florida last year. So I think that's certainly within the range of possibilities for him to do in the NFL this year. And he doesn't even need the passing upside to be able to pay off at his QB 14 price. I'm just going to read off some names. Uh, Kyler Murray in 2020, second in rushing yards, 13th in passing yards, but he finishes the QB 2. Lamar Jackson, 2020, first in rushing yards, 22nd in passing yards, QB8. Hertz in 2021, first in rushing yards, 22nd in passing yards, QB9. And there's a couple more examples of this field last year, but he doesn't even need the passing to be able to pay off in his price. If he hits that 750, 850-yard um, rushing yards mark, I think he can pay off big time. And he's an enormous human being. I mean, you know what he's going to do at the goal line. We saw what Cam Newton did in his rookie year at the goal line. I really don't think double-digit touchdowns are um, out of the range of possibilities for Anthony Richardson this year. And if he can do that, I think he's going to smash big time. And I, I, I just I like the investment. Oh, it's 110%. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Just uh, It's no a great call. Uh, price tags, right? The Konami upside is so real. The fact that he's already been named, the only question I had with him was, when are you going to get him? He's already been long been named the quarterback one here, the starter for week one, which is huge. And then Jonathan Taylor gets moved all the better. He'll literally be the entire offense at that point. You're not going to Deion Jackson at the strike. Uh, Kareem Hunt, maybe they signed him, but even still, he would become that much more of a focal point. So to me, it's a win-win. You get Jonathan Taylor. Great. You have another good weapon that will help you get into the red zone more often. You don't. Great. You're going to also be the entire team there. 2.5 times more valuable rush yards compared to passing yards. 1.5 times more valuable rush TDs to pass TDs. So absolutely, it makes sense. Some of those discrepancies you made with some of those passing yards versus rushing yards and where they finish. It all makes sense. A top 10 finish. It, that was a great stat. 700 yards and they, they bet a top 10 quarterback. Is that truth? I see you nodding. I didn't mean to take your thunder either. What were some uh, of your takeaways? You're, you're not taking my thunder. I'm just taking all this in because this is the sort of thing we talk about all the time. But often we don't have the exact numbers or examples in front of us. We, uh, and, you know, he just laid it out really well. That was great. Absolutely. Um, and, and so going into my deeper sleeper at this point, uh, it kind of transitions nice. I have two. I know I'm cheating a little bit. Um, and one I do like more. But it does make a little bit more sense uh, to transition to one of these guys, given it also involves the Konami upside. That Sam Howell is one of the guys I really, really like. Uh, as a potential sleeper quarterback that's getting undrafted right now in a lot of leagues. He, in fact, came out, and this happens a lot with when I make my projections. I'm I'm stunned at where these guys end up coming out. Uh, he came out quarterback 12 in my first round of projections, and a lot of that was because of projecting a big amount of Konami upside. I had him going for around 600 yards and seven touchdowns or so on the ground. He scored two rushing touchdowns last season in his first preseason start. And then he ultimately, Sam Howell, uh, rushes for a touchdown in his only start last year, puts up 19 fantasy points despite only throwing, I believe, under 200 yards in his first start. And he still ultimately goes uh, for over 19 fantasy points because of that rushing upside with Sam Howell. But then you mix in the fact 
that he's looked great as a passer so far this preseason, been named as the quarterback one, given how good he looked in camp, how far he separated, and he's backed it up with the preseason play. And about three quarters of action or so, so far, he has 265 yards, three touchdowns, completing 75% of his passes, as well as running for 25 yards on four carries on the ground. He's made great plays with his legs, extending uh, when he looks like he's going to take a sack, you know, extending the play, making great throws on the run, but then also running for a lot of first downs too. Eric Bieniemy, that bump, I know it's not Mahomes, but he did have a great tutoring under Andy Reid here, Eric Bieniemy, and it's showing. He's creating a ton of mismatches in these early preseason. He's getting the running backs out in space. So I really like Sam Howell as a potential last-round stab. That would be my upside last-round stab at quarterback. But if you just need safety, I love Brock Purdy going as the quarterback 22, pick 173 on Fantasy Pros, 23, pick 162 on Underdog. Purdy was the quarterback six from week 14 when he became a starter and finished as the quarterback eight, 14, 13, nine, and five across those five game starts. Then caps the season off. This doesn't even get included in those numbers with a 34.9 point performance against Seattle in the playoffs that I think really up, uh, emphasized the upside that Brock Purdy had because we saw Debo rip off a 60 yard touchdown. Didn't have to do much on Purdy's side, but he didn't have Debo really only Debo for two games. And he was kind of working himself back in one. He only played a half because they were resting for the playoffs. So he only had one to two full games with Debo and was putting up these numbers. Now you give him Debo healthy, motivated, odd year Debo, where he always blows up in odd seasons. Ayuk looks like the best receiver in the league, apparently, according to training camp reports. Debo saying you can't cover Ayuk in a, a phone booth, but if he takes even another step, I already love Ayuk as he is. Imagine he takes another step. You got Kittle, you got, you got CMC. We're talking about a, a, the best weapons cabinet as a holistic group in the NFL, maybe the best play caller in the NFL and Kyle Shanahan in terms of getting these guys the ball in easy layup type of situations. And everybody says, okay, high floor, you know, yeah, he had two touchdowns in every game, but it's really blowing up. He didn't have tons of huge games other than that 34 point game in the playoffs. But they're also talking about how much more aggressive the offense looks in year two under Purdy. Now they fully committed to the guy. We do just remember, I know Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't scream upside, but the last quarterback he had before that was when Kyle Shanahan was over with the Falcons. Matt Ryan's crazy MVP season. Like It's not like Kyle Shanahan can't coach a ceiling, ceiling game, ceiling season out of his quarterback. So between the play calling, the weapons cabinet, and the fact that Purdy seems to be able to get the job done himself, He's the ultimate quarterback at the end of drafts. If you don't feel great about your starter, let's say you go with my Daniel Jones prediction. I can't say it's like a guaranteed lock. Daniel Jones goes crazy. Purdy's an excellent QB to then target as a nice higher floor backup with also some ceiling to him too. Howell being the guy that if you, you just want to take a big stab, you don't love the upside of the two quarterbacks you might've drafted or the quarterback ahead of him. He's more of the could swing and win leagues, but Purdy, I definitely feel better about. I have him ranked higher. He's going to smash his quarterback 23 ADP. No doubt about it. Even as his floor, he'll destroy that. What if he hits a ceiling that we don't really recognize right now? All right, Mike, uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, well, I'll just spoil it for everybody. Can you pick it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, my, my late guy is Kenny Pickett uh, going in the middle of the 14th round right now. Um, I don't think he has the ceiling quite like Purdy or Howell do, but I think he's a solid guy to put on your roster if you don't take one of those elite guys um, in the first handful of rounds of drafts. But if you're looking for a more two quarterbacks on your roster, see what kind of works out. I think he's a good target. But Kenny Pickett, he, he was a rookie last year. He kind of got thrown into the fire, played 12 games. He looked okay. Nothing special, though. But um, 
there, there was a few things that stood out to me that make me interested in him for this year. I mean, first off is the price. I mean, going in the 14th round, he's basically free. But second off, he he's a not his his rushing contributions to his fantasy performance are definitely like they're non-zero. Um, he was he's an above average rusher. We saw that in college at Pitt. He has some of those highlight plays. But last season, he had several games with 35 plus rushing yards. I think it was about three games where he had that. He had three rushing touchdowns in 12 games. And he ranked 11th among quarterbacks in red zone rushes, despite only playing 12 games. So I, I think he can punch in a, a handful of touchdowns, maybe five or so um, in his sev- full 17 game season. And he's definitely going to contribute some to his fantasy performance on the ground. And then when it comes to his work in, as a passer, I mean, first off, he's got a quality arsenal of weapons. I mean, you've got the reliable, always open Deontay Johnson, who we talked about on Monday. You've got George Pickens, who can make the contested catch. He's a freak athlete. And you've got Pat Fryermuth, who plays that kind of safety blanket role uh, underneath in the flats, getting open for Pickett. But he can also get up the seams and make plays for himself. So. I think he's got a quality set of receivers and he can utilize those to have a better performance through the air this year. And the final thing I want to talk about when it comes to Pickett is about their ability to convert touchdowns. Last season in the second half of the year, the Steelers ranked third in yards per drive. They were moving the ball down the field, but they just weren't converting the touchdowns. If you look at their box scores, you see they have like 13 point games, 20 point games. They're not really cracking the 24 point threshold all that often. But if they can turn these turn those drives where they're churning out yards into touchdowns, I think that's going to do great for Pickett's fantasy performance and he can contribute to rosters. That's a really good point. You see all the time guys that whose seasons could have gone a completely different way if they had just been able to punch it in a few times. It's funny. I don't I didn't really think of the Steelers that way, but I, I had no idea. You said they're what? They were third in yards per drive? Yeah, in the second half of the year last year. They were wow. they're moving the ball, they just weren't converting. Oh, that that is one that I would not have predicted. I would have said like 20th or something like yeah. that. So that's interesting. Uh, before we get into running backs, I just want to, I would be remiss if I did not ask our loyal followers, uh, listeners, viewers to give us a like, if you like what we're doing, or even if you don't, if you're just, if you're here, just push the button. It doesn't cost you anything, uh, but give us a like, give us a love, give us a thumbs up, whatever currency your social media is or whatever viewing platform you're using uh, whatever currency they're using give it to us we need it we'd really appreciate it so uh send some love our way uh we see we've already got some folks with us this morning got a few comments in the comments section dave campanelli representing as always uh, hell yeah 11 questions Let's- in the, the early morning mailbag before we really get going keep that growing guys would love to, to to answer any questions you have i know this is the big season so keep it going keep them coming i love that great stuff all right, let's hit running backs uh, in our pick 100 to 150 range. You know, we use the word sleeper here a little bit loosely, but for the purposes of this uh, pod, stream, whatever you want to call it, that's what we're doing. But uh, let's go in with Antonio Gibson, the Wolves' 100 to 150 running back pick. Yeah, it feels a little bit like cheating because I just checked Fantasy Pros this morning and he went from 101 to 97. So I guess I've crossed the 100 pick threshold running back 35. I know I'm such a cheater. It sucks. He is going after pick 100 on underdog still, though. And he's been the running back 14, 8 and 28 his past three seasons in the NFL, his only three seasons in the NFL. And he's going as running back 33 and 35. 
I think he's going to be used better than ever, though, this year. Yes, it's going to be more of a timeshare than we're used to, especially compared to that running back eight season when he was borderline bell cow status. But that might not be a bad thing for Antonio Gibson, a traditional college-wide receiver that transitioned to running back for whatever reason and then never used as a pass catcher. In fact, McKissick was the one taking all the passing volume, 5, 4.8, and 6.8 targets per game the last three years for J.D. McKissick. That includes a 110-target season in his last full 16-game slate for McKissick. He's gone, and they've already talked about how that role is going to Antonio Gibson under the mind of Eric Bieniemy, who used Jarek McKinnon to perfection throughout his career so far uh, with the Chiefs. 512 receiving yards, nine touchdowns on 71 targets for McKinnon last year. He had the most fantasy points per touch, and I don't think anybody's sitting here thinking McKinnon is this world breaker that deserves the most points per touch. That was more scheme-based than him himself, in my opinion, and I think that's going to be great. We already saw Gibson catch that easy red zone touchdown on his second preseason week. So you give me a more explosive McKinnon in a better role with a, already a great touchdown score. Sure, Robinson can do all that early ground, early down grinding, and he'll probably catch a handful of balls too. He had four catches on a half of action on, on preseason week two. That's just a staple, though, of the enemy's offense is all the running backs getting involved in the past game. So I am very excited for a historically well-known touchdown score, explosive athlete finally getting out into space, finally being used the right way under a bright new mind. And especially with Howell looking as good as he does, even more touchdown chances than I love Antonio Gibson at his price tag and him gobbling up as my running back three or four in these drafts. Now, Wolf, you've, you've tried to slide in multiple other guys here, according to the agenda. You've even got a banner made up for an honorable mention guy. So let, let's not uh, kick it to Mike yet. You've still got okay. a lot on your mind. I'll get my honorable mention. One of my honorable mentions, Mike's take it anyways. So love it. I love we're, we're often aligned, me and Mo. Really, when, unless it's Kyle Pitts, <laughs> that, that were otherwise and really good aligned uh, there. Jalen Warren, though, another guy I wanted to toss out there. Mike already highlighted how, how many more touchdown opportunities there could have been for this Steelers offense. So they want them just taking another step, pick it in the preseason, nine for 11. I mean, he's been looking great. So this offense taking another step forward. I'm with Mike on that in his quarterback call with Pickett. And Warren, yes, he's already behind. He's going to be behind Najee, the coach, Matt Canada, despite Warren's impressive preseason, has said this is still Najee's backfield. I understand that. But Warren, all last year, more efficient, more effective than Najee. Yes, Najee was hurt, but even still, he wasn't overly efficient as a rookie as well. Jalen Warren, meanwhile, one of the most efficient backs in the leagues. He rips a 62-yard touchdown off. Everybody sees that. His price goes up around, and I'm still enjoying it because I think he'll be on the field more often. He was already a bit of a third down back. He's so far this preseason been mixing in on the early downs even more often. So 30%, 40% of the touches, that's not typical for a Tomlin backfield, but maybe Warren will get some benefits in beyond just a pure handcuff. But as a pure handcuff, the Steelers' backfield is always one to target, whether it's Le'Veon Bell, D'Angelo Williams behind him, James Conner goes down, the next guy up. They always get fed whoever it is. Tomlin himself says, I'm a bell cow guy. I'm a workhorse guy. It's how I like to craft my backfields, and he backs that up. Whenever he's had a clear-cut starter, 24 opportunities per game for his backs. They've averaged around 22 fantasy points per game. Again, that back, includes backup D'Angelo Williams that year. So if something does happen to Najee, you're talking about a league winner in Jalen Warren. And even if not, I think he's a guy that you could potentially toss in your flex in the right matchups uh, where you think he could get some things going on the ground because he is so explosive. He is going to be involved regardless. But as that handcuff upside, he would literally swing leagues if anything happens to Najee. So I love Jalen Warren as 120 or so price tag right now. Worthy of honorable mention. Good sell there. 
All right. <laughs> Kicking it to Mike for his first uh, running back sleeper in the 100 to 150 range. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, first, I just want to say that uh, if if you hadn't already taken him, Gibson would have been my call here. Uh, I, I really like him as well. I think he's he's a great price, especially with currently going as a fringe RB3, RB4. I think he's solid. But uh, we're here to talk about Pirine, uh, former Bengal. So uh, I'm attached to him a little bit. But the first thing I wanted to hit with him is just the surrounding situation. Um, first, Sean Payton plucks him out of Cincinnati. He He's his first. Uh, he, he's the Pirine is the running back free agent that he wants to sign. And Pirine turned down similar money in Cincinnati to go play with um, Sean Payton in Denver. So mm-hmm. that doesn't really mean all that much, but I, I think it's worth noting. And second um, is the Javante Williams situation. That's the other big factor playing into how you should be drafting Pirine. He's coming off of an ACL and an LCL repair. Uh, I think at this point it's around the 10-month mark, maybe coming up on 11. I believe it was in October of last year. So it's a pretty quick turnaround. Uh, I believe J.K. Dobbins came off something similar or almost the exact same last year. And we saw him not looking right even down the stretch last year in week 10 and 11. So I, I don't think... I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be the same player that he was. Uh, I think we could certainly see some signs of rust and even Sean Payton holding him back, which does nothing but benefit Pirine. Um, if P- if Javante Williams isn't playing and Pirine is basically the only option at running back there, I think he's an insane value, especially where he's going right now in the beginning of the 10th round. But even, um, even if Williams is healthy and playing a significant role in this offense, I think Pirine still pays off. He's going into the running back 38, but I think he'll see enough volume to significantly beat that ADP. Um, his last six years in New Orleans, uh, Sean Payton's running back two, he mm-hmm. averaged 11 touches per game. During his time in Cincinnati, Pirine averaged 18.2 PPR points per game in games where he saw at least 10 touches. So when he's getting the ball in his hands, he's being productive with it. And we know, at least in Cincinnati, for the most part, those touches were passes. I think that will be the same in Denver, which we know those are the high value touches. And I think he, if he's getting in that 10 to 12 touches a game, that range, I think he's going to pay off significantly when he's going near the RB. Yeah, I think oh, he's he's just, he got <laughs> cut off there, but, but did he say 18.2 fantasy points a game when the guy got 10 touches or more? Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to address that. I think it's a really good point and uh, I'll build off. Mike looks like he's regaining it right here. Uh, the, the the backfield under Sean Payton has always been, just to illustrate his point even further, a routine top three in expected fantasy points per backfield, largely because they have, and if you want to add him, I can click uh, Mike, it looks yeah. like he's back here. Uh, they routinely tar- peppered the running back position, always under Sean Payton. There's only one season they weren't top five in running back target share uh, under Sean Payton. They, when they had a guy like Kamara, Reggie Bush, Darren Sproles, they were routinely at 28 to 33% target shares as well, which is why they always leave that. And that's what Pirine does best, pass catching, and especially as a pass protector, a guy that can just really be in there in all three downs. And we've seen that with Peyton as well is his number two running backs, obviously not quite as valuable as the number one guy, but if the one misses time, whether it was Ingram behind Kamara, whether it was Latavius Murray had multiple 30 point days when he took over that Ingram role just a couple seasons ago, they routinely the number two backs, if they get thrust into starters duty, it's usually a committee. And then when somebody has to take over a bell cow role, they become legitimate league winners. And we even saw P Ryan do that already himself last year when he was filling in for Joe Mixon. And that's probably why he has that, you know, anytime over 10, he averages, 
averages 11, you know, over 18 fantasy points per game. That does make sense because when he was a starter last year, he was absolutely dominant. Samaj P. Ryan was going for 30, 19, and 24 fantasy points across his three starts. So we know he can get it done as a starter every down back. We know he'll have a role either way, 11 touches averages for his backup. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's a great call. And his price is going down with all the healthy reports on Javante, which makes sense. It's understandable. He was going around pick 90 early in the offseason. Now he's going at 120 to even further. I think Samaj Piran is definitely similar to J- – even better than Jalen Warren in that sense of a handcuff with great benefits as well. Um, I think it's a great call, Mike. Can you add a, a, an honorable mention I really like on here too? I, I wanted to say something about Mike's honorable mention because I, I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm misquoting or not. I, my memory's not what it used to be. But I was talking to a buddy of mine after we recorded on Monday, and I, I had mentioned I'd asked I'd asked Mike if he was nervous about Dolphins because of Tua and the fact that I could see him getting carted off week two or something, and he just kind of very boldly said like I don't draft scared and then he kind of threw an asterisk on there and said except maybe with Rashad Penny <laughs> was that was that uh, the guy was that the yeah, guy yeah yeah it was Rashad Penny because okay I, I don't I don't weigh in re-injury like that much but uh when it comes to Penny I will listen to it because it has been <laughs> I think five five years in the NFL he hasn't played a full season um that, I, I really like Penny. I mean, everything he has done while he's been healthy from a, a statistical standpoint, um, his breakaway run rate, he's an explosive runner, had been through the roof. Uh, his yards per carry has been one among the league's best. But, I mean, first, the problem is he, he might not stay healthy. That's been a consistent problem throughout his year. And now that we're hearing all this stuff about Kenneth Gainwell being ahead of him, Penny maybe even getting cut, um, That that's what made me – he would have – May, last week, Penny definitely would have been my option here, but uh, I'm starting to get a little bit more hesitant um, with the things that have been coming out about this Eagles backfield in the last couple of weeks, or maybe the last week or so. But I, I think he's still uh, he's a talented enough player with a price that justif- that you can justify taking him still. So I, I'm not out on Penny just yet, but uh, I'm definitely monitoring that situation pretty closely. Yeah, I think he's a good one to bring up, though, just in the sense that I I want an Eagles running back, no matter which one it ends up being. I I prefer Swift. He's definitely the most expensive as well, so that makes sense. But at at 80 to 90, I like Swift's price tag. But if I miss on him, whether it's Penny or Gainwell, to me, I've honestly been playing whoever's going cheaper. And right now, Penny's been going from, you know, pick 100 early to now 140. He's fallen about 40 spots. And now that becomes the guy I'm often taking here because, yeah, maybe Gainwell is the more reliable guy and he starts the year off as the the lead touchback potentially I don't even know if I buy that necessarily but that's the report that's been coming out here but Penny all he has to do unless he gets cut then then it's well that sucks but as long as he's on this team and, I, and that's what I expect uh, I think he's really going to have a role he's definitely the most explosive runner here just two seasons ago he was the number one running back in the fantasy playoffs he was the guy you had to have if you wanted to win your league win best ball tournaments was Rashad Penny and that was on the Seahawks you put him behind this Eagles offensive line. That's why I want any of these backs is that line is the best in the league at everything. Pass protection, run blocking. I absolutely love anybody playing in that offense, especially running backs, because he's going to have the most wide open lanes he's ever seen. And Penny is one of the most explosive runners by whatever metric you want. Breakaway run rate, broken tackles, per force per uh, touch, 
anything you want to look at, he's always among the top five. It's just a matter of he's not on the field for long enough for it to truly rack up the stats that would make him a superstar. But when he's out there, when he's playing, Penny has looked phenomenal. Uh, and I expect there will be at least a small, small stretch this season, maybe hopefully for you, your fantasy playoffs, where he is just a league winner, very capable of putting up 20, even 30-point days. And, and now within this offense, I love it. I, I, I know all the negative buzzes about Penny right now, and I'm just gobbling him up the later he falls uh, one of, was one of my highest owned running backs, so maybe it's a little owner bias in these early best ball drafts, was slamming him when he was like 110, 120, and then he got up to, to 90s, and now he's all the way at 140, so I'm all the way back in, hitting Penny as much as I can. I, I think it's a great call. All right, let's get a little bit deeper into the draft, and let's uh, hit you with an actual like late, late guy, 160 to 200 range. Go ahead, Wolf. Yeah, and he's going to be climbing up in best ball drafts. That's Tajay Spears. I got him in the last round of my home league. So ideally a guy that's still sitting out for you guys in, in home league drafts, definitely be prepared to reach on Tajay Spears if you want him in your best ball drafts. And I think you should be taking him in, in any format at this point. I am in love with him. He was the standout of camp, according to all beat writers. He was one of the most active players. Afterwards, the uh, offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly, says we're going to give Spears as much as he can handle. And I don't necessarily buy that when you're playing behind Derrick Henry. How much is going to be left for the taking? Probably not much. But this is more of one of those handcuffed plays, too. At Tulane, Tajay Spears rips off 1,581 rush yards, number five in the country, 6.9 yards per carry his senior year. He had six-point yards per carry every other year of his career as well. So very explosive runner. Also adds 256 to the air, a quality receiver. And that's where he was really standing out. So I can see him carving out that receiving role behind Derrick Henry. Not that it's ultimately that valuable in such a low-volume pass attack, but he could have some standalone benefits. He adds 21 touchdowns, though, very explosive player. What I'm trying to paint the fact is this guy is, despite being 5'9", a true featured back. He has that upside to do that. And then all oh, Wolf Tulane, he, he's facing nobody in college, right? Well, his one game against the most dominant competition, USC, that was their best opponent. He goes for four touchdowns, 219 yards for scrimmage on 18 touches. He also dominates at the senior bowl, was named the MVP of the that senior bowl, uh, dominating NFL-worthy competition. And so far at the NFL level, preseason, 13 carries, 89 yards and one touchdown rips off this 33-yard, very impressive scamper as the number one running back ahead of Haskins at this point. Hurdles a guy, breaks away, just one of those guys that pops as soon as you watch the tape. Like He is better as fast, and, and if not faster, than most of the players on the NFL level, too. So, yes, he's got the knees. I know he tore his ACLs, and maybe not doesn't even have an ACL in the knee. I don't even know what some of these reports are. That is a concern, and a concern in Dynasty. I get that. But right now, this guy is a ultimate handcuff. If something happens to Henry, who is 29, who has a ton of work on him throughout his career, anyone that could buck that trend, it would be the king. It's Henry. I still like Henry in round two. But should he miss any time, I think Tajay Spears in one of the most run-heavy attacks would be an absolute monster. And if that missed time happens in the playoffs, they get the Texans twice in the fantasy playoffs, who were by far, you know, 29 points per game to running backs last year. Gave up, I think, 40 yards more than the next closest team on the ground. It, it was a dreamboat matchup for running backs last year. I don't think one defensive lineman is going to completely overhaul that. So you'd be looking at a dreamboat playoff schedule when it matters most should Spears get a start. And either way, just a nice guy to have sitting there with some upside on your bench. Yeah, speaking of taking Derrick Henry in the second round, I absolutely would have taken him in the second round had Mike not taken him the pick before me. Yeah, I, I think Sorry about it in our sleeper draft. <laughs> I, was just I, I, I love where Henry goes, but I, I have no problem. And especially in best ball, people talk about don't handcuff. It's it's capping your upside. 
This is a situation I don't mind handcuffing because I love the value you're getting at Henry in, in mid to late round two right now. But his age does worry me. And I do think if Spears is the starter, I don't know that he'll be Henry, but I think he'd be a guy that could really rip off you know, 17 to 20 fantasy points per game and a great setup in that run environment they have there at, at Tennessee. I, I, I'm all about it. This is not a situation I avoid handcuffing by any means. I, I agree. Uh, I, I think, yeah, but – uh, along with what you said, I think it is really just a purely a handcuff situation. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, like how much of a role does he get when just his role is taking on whatever Derrick Henry doesn't take? Because Derrick Henry takes literally every single carry and he seems to just be all right with it. So that's the only reason I'm hesitant with Spears. I mean, the talent is clearly there. Um, he, he's exciting, but I just don't really know what kind of role he'll be able to have where he makes a difference on your roster unless Derrick Henry gets hurt. So that's the only reason I'm not as high on him. If, if, it, if he wasn't behind Derrick Henry, I think I'd be a lot higher on him. But just with, with him there, I just don't see much of it without an injury. You want to talk on uh, Zamir White a little bit, Wolf? Yeah, I'll, talk, I'll hit him real quick. Uh, I just one. I know the report right now is Jacobs is expected to report by week one, but there was reportedly he commented on that, like, where did you get this? And then he deleted the comment right after. But I'm not 100% convinced we're going to get Josh Jacobs. He seems like a man of pride, and I wouldn't be stunned if he holds out. Even if he does, still a very valuable role inside that Raiders backfield. Uh, we saw McDaniels turning the keys over to a featured back for the, for, you know, it was always the Patriots are a, Nightmare, but last year we saw Jacobs dominate, led the NFL in touches, uh, led the NFL in rushing carries. So I do think Zamir White, whether it's a holdout or the fact that we've seen you know 390 touchbacks every single year after that over the last decade have gotten hurt or experienced a sharp debt decline in their production. So I imagine you know that could be a big worry there with Josh Jacobs. So I think Zamir White's a great handcuff in those late rounds. And I also just like those Miami running backs at their price tags. Sure, maybe Jonathan Taylor gets traded there. That's that one bomb lingering over fantasy still. We're a week out from the season. It's still like, oh, we can't settle everything quite yet. That could happen to this backfield. It was always going to be the Dalvin Cook bomb for a while. But assuming Taylor does not get moved there, Mosher was the running back 26 last year. Jeff Wilson was the running back 28. Both are going outside the top 45 running backs. You know, basically free at this point uh, in an explosive offense. Guys that are going to see meaningful work. Mosher himself, you know, averaged over 10 points per game last year. I know that's not crazy, but we're looking at bye week plugins and guys that are going to get meaningful volume in good offenses. You don't usually find them in the double digit rounds here. And so I like Mostert. I actually, if I had to pick one, I kind of like Wilson even more. That shouldn't surprise longtime listeners just because, you know, David Campanelli is probably in the comments talking about my Jeff Wilson body pillow right now. You guys know I just love Jeff Wilson for whatever sick reason. He's always been my guy. But I also do think he brings a different element. So Devin, it changed. He was, he was going to be the guy that ruins this backfield and throws a big wrench. But the reason I'm back in on these guys is one, no Dalvin Cook, maybe Jonathan Taylor, but also Devin A. Chain, he has not really improved press so far he also got hurt he's going to miss a couple weeks now with a shoulder injury he's been playing behind even miles gaskin and salvin ahmed in the play uh the preseason so far at a certain point yes i could see a chain a chain coming in and taking some carries but right now and even if he does i imagine that will come at the expense of raheem Mostert, which is what i was going to get to jeff wilson meanwhile brings more of that bruising element the the red zone touches his first two games with the dolphins 16.2 22.3 12 points in the first half against Houston. And then he got hurt. He never really regained his footing. He had kind of like 11, 10, 9 when he finally came back. So even usable games when he did first come back. But he, he suffered that injury and just wasn't himself for the next couple of games. But he looked like a, a monster when he first got there 
with Miami. And I'm not convinced he can't regain that footing uh, as a guy that scores eight to 10 touchdowns in a really explosive offense. He's also the cheaper back as of right now. Jeff Wilson is so uh, he's the guy I'm drafting more often at 170 or so really, really like Jeff Wilson. All right, moving on. Let's talk about tank. Mike, what can you tell us about tank? So first off, I want to talk about my overall philosophy when drafting, especially running backs in this range. I'm really just looking for someone who can carve out a role within the offense and be a contributor without an injury. Uh, I briefly mentioned that uh, a second ago, but I think Tank Bisbee can do this in Jacksonville. Uh, first off, this is going projecting to be a phenomenal offense, especially with the addition of Calvin Ridley, uh, potentially another step forward from Trevor Lawrence. This offense looks like it's set up to score a lot of points, which is someone you obviously want some fantasy players from. But first off, uh, I, now, now I just want to get to who Tank Bigsby is as a player. Uh, first off, he's a rookie out of Auburn, third-round pick that uh, Peterson brought in to take some of the workload away from Travis Etienne. He's got a pretty big frame, NFL-ready. He's a downhill runner who can also beat you with speed. Um, I think he's all around just a, a really solid prospect. He was highly touted. Um, coming out of high school when he went to Auburn and uh, people have had their eyes on him for a while. But now that he's in the NFL, he's got his first training camp under his belt. The, the buzz around him is all positive. The coach is, the coaching staff is saying that they're, he's exactly what they're looking for. And he's been used in a a lot of pretty important roles. And that's kind of what I want to talk about um, when, when it comes to his role within the offense, the things that, Tank Bigsby excel, has been excelling at are where Travis Etienne struggles. First, Etienne wasn't really doing much in the passing game. And while Bigsby isn't exactly known as like a specialty pass catching running back, everything that's been coming out of camp in Jacksonville has been saying that he's been ex- exceeding and doing well with the ball in his hands, especially catching the ball. And the other thing that Etienne didn't do incredibly well last season was in short yarded situations. He had one of the worst conversion rates at the, in goal to go um, in terms of punching the ball in for touchdowns. He's among one of the worst running backs in the NFL doing that. And Bigsby can do that pretty well. And we saw this early on in the preseason. In one of the drives where the starters were going for Jacksonville, ETN had played almost every snap. But then when a third and one comes up, they bring in Bigsby to get that short yardage going. And I think that's just a sign of what's to come at the goal line for Jacksonville this season. I don't think ETN or he, he may reprise this role as the goal line back, but I think there's a good chance he use, he loses it to Bigsby and that'd be detrimental for. The duck just bristling, by the way, at home, listening to this. Travis Etienne. <laughs> I, I think he, he intercepted the stream and knocked Mike out. So he, he couldn't finish his tape there. <laughs> but He's I think it's a out there. Yeah. It's a phenomenal call. It looks like Mike is back with us. So as we're as he's returning, I'll, I'll just add on. It's kind of like my Tajay Spears argument on steroids because I do think Bigsby will have a bigger role than Spears would without an injury. Uh, it's much more a handcuff with benefits in that situation. I agree with Mike that he could definitely take over some of that goal line work uh, where Etienne struggled that you were just kind of painting that picture. I think that's absolutely a role he could have. And then should something happen to Etienne, another guy that could be top seven in everybody's weekly rankings at that point. So, so yeah, I didn't mean to steal the uh, thunder. I saw you dropped out, Mike, but anything no, else yeah. to add on big. Uh, yeah. I just dropped out for a second. Uh, must be the Wi-Fi or something, but um, 
Yeah, I, I kind of painted the whole picture there. I, I really think he has a role on this offense without an injury. And obviously with an injury, he his 15th round price is going to pay off drastically. And I think it will, regard without even without an injury to ETN, I think this is going to be a great offense. And it might not be from day one. You might have to wait two or three weeks, maybe even four weeks with Bigsby to have a, a, a role within this offense. But I think he does even without that injury. And I think that can be a massive value to teams. Yeah. And I will just point out with him too. I've started to see his price creeping up. Uh, he, he's going right now 125 or so an underdog last night in Yahoo. I actually drafted him as well. I got him at like 120, 130 range. So he is after a positive preseason, 22 carries, 122 yards so far, just looking like a beast doing it too. Some really, really impressive jukes and, and tackle break. Looks great. He, he's passing the eyeball test no matter what. So his price is Definitely creeping up, but even still, I, I scooped him up at 120 last night, and I loved it. I've been taking him at 110 sometimes in these underdog drafts. So even if it's not in this round 15 range by the time you guys are all drafting, he's still a great guy, Tanks Bigsby, to be looking yeah. at after 100. Just, just about his price, yeah. He In best ball, he's going around that 120 mark, but I think in home leagues, I mean, uh, I'm just using uh, the Fantasy Pros composite, like Sleeper, ESPN, Yahoo, for my ADP source, mm-hmm. and – in the home leagues, he's slipping into like the 150, 170 range on some formats, which is yeah. absolutely bonkers. I think that's an, a steal. And he, he was going several rounds earlier before in best ball. So I think he's a great guy to see if he slides in your draft because just people don't know about him and grab him late. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. I already kind of spoiled this one. I threw the banner up a little bit early, but you also wanted to talk a little bit about Kareem Hunt in this context. Yeah, uh, obviously you can't talk as much about him because he hasn't signed anywhere yet. But um, I think it's just worth pointing out um, because of a couple of pieces of buzz that have been going around the NFL. First, um, Jonathan Taylor getting permission to get a trade from the Colts and Kareem Hunt being linked to the Colts and having worked out there, I believe it was less than a week ago. So I think if he lands in Indianapolis, this could be a guy that you can get in the back end of your draft and he could end up paying off huge if he just signs in the right spot. But until we really know where he will be playing this year, if anywhere, I mean, I'd imagine Kareem Hunt's going to have a, uh, a spot on some NFL roster this season. But uh, I think if he lands in the right spot, given his current price, he could end up being a really good pick. Yeah, no argument here. All right, let's get really, really deep. Hail Mary's. Obviously, one of these guys, the Wolf and I, are just constantly all over. We've drafted him late in best ball time and time again. Um, not talking about Kyron Williams. I'm interested to hear about that one, too. Obviously, we've always been all over Cordell Patterson, for better or for worse. But, okay, Wolf, talk to us about your Hail Mary guys. We'll start with the guy that we're known for right now is Patterson. Uh, he's the guy we nailed out of the park two years ago before he broke out. We've always been on the Patterson train, and everyone's burying him now. Bijan drafted, and I get it. Bijan is a generational prospect. He is going to be the starting running back. He's probably going to see 60 to 70% of the work. I think that actually is going to help out Patterson now, though. Maybe not because it, there's definitely going to be more mouths to feed. His volume's going to be going and taking a pretty steep hit, but I think he could be significantly more efficient as he moves back into, as they've said in camp, that positionalist weapon. He's been lining up at running back, receiver, tight end, moving all over the place to be creating those mismatches. I bring back a tweet from. 2022 last year in weeks one through nine in 2021 Patterson was the running back six with 19.9 that's insane that would have been the running back three points per game and you had 459 receiving yards on 57 uh catches or 
uh, 57 yards per game, fresh off a six catch, 126 yard day. He was just that moving around positionless masterpiece. And, and he was thriving that big play threat uh, in that role. Then they moved into an early down grinder role. He averaged 10 points per game. That kind of was what carried over into 2022 as well. He still had some spikes last year, 22, 22, 20.4, 18.3, four running back one weeks, 31% of the time he was on the field. He was a top 12 running back that you're getting in the last round. That was obviously a different role. And I think he'll be in an even better role back to that one where he was killing it in 2021 in those first nine weeks. Yes, the volume will be lower. There was no Drake London there. Uh, who knows if Kyle Pitts will ever see volume? Who knows? But Bijan Robinson as well will definitely command targets volume. But I do think even on just a handful of touches a week might be more of a best ball play because it's going to be spikes and it's going to be tough to predict or really, really deep flex leagues. But I think Patterson will still have a few 15, 20, maybe even 25 point days on his resume by the time this season ends. So he makes a nice stab. But I do think Kyron Williams could be an even steadier late round stab and more of a redraft type of guy that you could potentially rely on. He's been the clear cut number two running back for the Rams all preseason. He's also been their preferred pass catching and pass blocking running back as well. So probably going to be the third down guy from day one. I think the Rams bounce back big as a whole. Uh, and so if that's the case, the third down back is going to have some real value, even if nothing happens to Cam Akers. But Cam Akers did tear his Achilles just a couple seasons ago, has more injuries on his resume as well. So it's not a guy that is bulletproof by any means so if something happens to acres again I, I always you can kind of see the themes of these sleepers here handcuffs with benefits guys that could bring some standalone value should you need them in a pinch but then also if anything happens to the starter could go bananas how many times have we seen whether it's sony michelle daryl henderson number two running backs for the rams end up going crazy down the stretch when the number one guy goes down so i'm just following tried and true formulas he's getting praise kyron williams from mcveigh from stafford uh, everybody seems to love him here he hasn't played in a single preseason game which kind of hints at how much the team values him at this point too so I really really like Kyron Williams who's going undrafted right now he's become my de facto last round pick in best ball if I need a running back big big fan of Kyron all right moving on to uh, Mike's undrafted sleeper guys Jerome Ford educators yeah. uh so this is another guy that is the discrepancy in ADP between best ball and home leagues is pretty massive um, I think you'll be able to get him with your last pick in just about any home league, but he was going somewhere around pick 200, maybe a little bit before that in best ball. But I, I think he's worth a stab in the last round. His, his price has fallen recently because of a hamstring injury that's kept him off the field. Um, Kevin Stefanski provided an update just a couple of days ago. They're, they don't really have a timetable for him, but they're, they're hoping he can be back for the regular season premiere. But other than that, I mean, it doesn't really matter that much, in my opinion, just because this is literally like a guy you could just stab at in your last round and cut him if he doesn't play. But uh, like I said, going undrafted in most leagues. But prior to his injury, all of the, the headlines surrounding him, all of the reports were saying that he was going to play that complimentary role to Nick Chubb and take on whatever work Nick Chubb didn't, whether that be through the air or on the ground. He was going to be the guy who was backing him up. He... There wasn't really much other competition in that running back room. And I just think that this second running back spot behind Nick Chubb is incredibly valuable. I mean, we saw Kareem Hunt provide several. I'm not saying he's going to be Kareem Hunt. Uh, Kareem Hunt's obviously a lot more talented. But we saw Kareem Hunt and numerous other running backs provide meaningful weeks in fantasy behind Nick Chubb. Or even when Nick Chubb got hurt, I mean, that, that role becomes incredibly valuable. And just like outside of the role in Cleveland, I think that um, Jerome Ford can be 
uh, a pretty good player just in general. He he wowed at Cincinnati. He showed some pretty impressive explosive plays, blowing by um, defenders on screen passes. He played with Desmond Ritter there. He was a pretty key contributor to their run at the college football playoff. He he has a solid resume, and he's done some things on the field that I think can translate to the NFL. I just think he's a great stab, especially being in Cleveland, being in Cleveland, where we've shown, where they've shown that these running backs can be incredibly valuable. I mean, why not just take a chance on this guy in the last round of your drafts? And if Nick Chubb goes down, he is automatically vaulted into one of the best and most important roles in all of fantasy football, that Cleveland RB1. Yeah. You saw it with what, Dearness Johnson, even just two years ago? Like, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be yeah. an impressive back. It's a great scheme. Nah. I, I'm, I'm 100% there. Ford tore up the preseason last week. He was going as early as pick 150 or so just about a month ago in the, those early, early drafts, given he was slated for that cream hunt role. It's part of the reason their coaching staff said they're ready to get rid of, you know, they didn't need to sign anybody else. They didn't feel the need to bring back Hunt. They, they felt so good about Ford and his progression. So one little hamstring injury that you expect to be back from week one anyways, that's going to make him free in drafts. I, I love this pick too. I have a ton of Jerome Ford so far this year. I'm, I'm with you, Mike. It is a good pick. Let's move on to wide receivers. We've got a lot of them. I will say, Mike, you know, we said we'd be done in about an hour, and, uh, you know, we're 55 <laughs> minutes in. Here, here we are. Right. Here we are. Famous last words, as we said, <laughs> as projected by the truth. When, he it comes to these, when it comes to the running time of these, always bet the over. Hey, well, if you're enjoying it, I know we're in the middle of the show, but that thumbs up, it really does. I know we already called for it twice. We wouldn't keep doing it if it helped, didn't help us grow. Uh, and, of course, if you want to join that sub, love to get to 4K. We, we hit that 3K mark earlier this summer. Would love to keep climbing the ranks, baby. So please do consider subbing, liking if you're enjoying what you're hearing, which how could you not? Great, great sleeper show so far. I'm loving it. Yeah, it's been great. Um, and let's talk about your number one guy, uh, pick 100 to 150. Uh, you're liking Romeo Dobbs, right? Yeah, I did want to just shout out a quick few guys that are going much higher on underdog drafts than they are according to the Fantasy Pros ADP. And based on the the Yahoo draft that did last night, these guys are also falling uh, quite far as well. Going beyond pick 100, Elijah Moore, 112, Cortland Sutton, 113. I won't say the next one because I know that's one of Mike's guys. But then also Sky Moore going pick 132. Uh, All those guys are above Romeo Dubs for me. And they're going around pick 80 to 90 right now on these underdog drafts, which is a, you more of the sharper drafters. Just something to definitely note as the, the number one pass catcher potentially. Alatra Moore has been dominant all training camp. Cortland Sutton has been, apparently been the Mike Williams big X role for Sean Payton and then regained his 2019 form. We had over 1,200 yards and six touchdowns. They're saying he's looking like a stud so far and getting the most targets in camp. I'll believe Russell Wilson will matter when I see it, but – at that price tag, instead of the round four guy he was last year, round three even, I think Cortland Sutton is a nice rebound potential candidate. And Sky Moore playing all number one receiver sets with uh, one, two receivers, him and Justin Watson playing with Pat Mahomes. Everybody talking about how much of a huge step Moore has taken in training camp, looking like that next big thing with Kadarius Tony out. So Sky Moore, definitely one of those guys. So those three guys wanted to make sure to highlight. I can't believe they're going after pick 100, but definitely – Write them down on your little cheat sheet. But a guy I know will be going 
after pick 100. He's going 132 overall right now. Wide receiver 54 on Fantasy Pros. Wide receiver 52 at 114 on Underdog. That's Romeo Dubs. I am absolutely in love with him. The Packers vacated the second most air yards and targets at 2,575 air yards, 258 targets. Third in that, that's third in air yard percentage at 59% and target percentage 47% as well. So tons of open opportunity for grabs with Lazard, Cobb, all those other old crusty guys out. Who's going to be the number one? Well, most people clearly assume it's Christian Watson, fourth, fifth round price tag. That's the guy I definitely, if it's one or the other, would have straight up Christian Watson. Uh, but at the prices, it really could still be Dubs. He is the guy that really has great chemistry with Jordan Love. All last preseason was the darling of Camp Romeo Dubs. And who was doing that work with? Jordan Love with the second stringers. Already this preseason, now that Love has taken over, seems like that that pre-established rapport narrative that you often hear and and honestly often does ring true is happening here four targets four catches 73 yards and a touchdown so far and about a half of action for Romeo Dubs the coach saying you know this is a 1a 1b situation we don't have a true one so I'm just kind of following the tea leaves and what they're saying he the coach even saying that Romeo Dubs's routes remind me of Devontae Adams and how violently he runs them the beat writers often reporting that Dubs is the most targeted guy each and every practice. So yes, I like Watson and the fact that he scored the fourth most touchdowns on the 67th most targets, a very explosive guy, definitely going to have some humongous weeks, but Dubs might end up being the most steady guy at well under half the cost going again, pick 130 right now. I, I really, really like him. Plus, oh, but he, you know, he's no Aaron Rodgers, Wolf. He's going away from an MVP. I actually think that could benefit him. One, that pre-established rapport, as we mentioned, but two, we often saw Aaron Rodgers freeze out these rookies when they made the wrong route and get Randall Cobb. And we need to have this old guy that I had trust with. And then you'd see dubs disappear for a four or five week span. That's not going to be the issue here. And Jordan love also does look great too. 130 yards, two touchdowns and about a half of preseason action, calm, cool, taking shots, you know, hitting tight windows. He looks like the real deal. So I do not see this as a downgrade at all from going from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. In fact, that could end up benefiting um, a guy like Romeo Dubs, a guy like Christian Watson as well. So I love Dubs at this price tag, taking stabs all day. Speaking of taking stabs, oh, MOH is gone again. Uh, but speaking of taking stabs, you want to talk OBJ? I mean, I, yeah, I, don't, I, mean, even know. I don't even know, man. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's just one of those guys that I'm always willing to go back to Odell Beckham. I think this offense for the Ravens is going to be extremely explosive under Todd Monk and bringing the air raid attack. And it's wide open at the top. Who's going to lead the way. And I know Mike's going to have a take on who he thinks leads it. And I don't necessarily disagree. I love Zay flowers. Uh, not to spoil it, but that's a great pick from Mike. I think this offense in general, I want as many pieces as I can. And I don't mind getting the veteran guy who has apparently been the highlight player at camp, 40-yard touchdown this day, 70-yard touchdown the next, the most consistent and steady receiver, according to beat writers so far in camp. And there's been plenty of praise for Zay Flowers as well. He did have that touchdown, and I'm excited to hear what Mo has to say on him. But Odell Beckham, obviously, the track record speaks for himself. The last time he was on the field, that's the big rub against him. It's been over a year since we've seen him. But every time he's missed time and come back, it still looks like close to the Odell we've seen before. With the Rams, he was scoring a touchdown in over almost one per game at that point. And in the Super Bowl, it looked like he was about to go for 200 yards and multiple touchdowns before he got hurt at that point. So Odell's just always a guy that – he might be getting older, and yet he still just seems to always stay the same. The injury concerns are real with him, but I love this offense. I want as many pieces as I can get, 
And I'll take the veteran guy that's really making a, a name for himself at the cheapest price tag. He's going a little bit ahead of Bateman at this point, uh, which is definitely deserved. Him versus Dave Flowers is a tricky debate, and I'm excited to hear what uh, Mike has to say. Oh, he looks like he's back. Let me uh, add him in, and we'll Mike's get to him. I, I want to just also yeah. – I want to just add this uh, comment that this guy – I do. <laughs> the Ohio State, they, they, they take spend, out millions of dollars. got that McDonald's Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> You'd think Ohio State had the resources to be able to keep me on this live stream, but no, they can't give me the Wi-Fi to stay on. But hopefully the <laughs> campus Wi-Fi picks up soon. But, uh, yeah, my, my guy, uh, it's uh, my, my, my first uh, wide receiver sleeper is Gabe Davis. Um, Love it. This is another guy I, I think make, might make you guys cringe, but he his price know. is down five, five rounds from last year. So – it's a different story to talk about. He's going in the end at the end of the ninth round. Uh, he's the 45th wide receiver off the board. And I, I think that's just a tremendous value. He's more of a, your prototypical guy for a best ball team, but just because of the boomer bust potential. Uh, but I think he still provides value for redraft rosters. Uh, last season, he finished as the wide receiver 36. And that was when just about everything that went wrong for Gabe Davis went wrong. That was, I think, the absolute worst season Gabe Davis could have had from a fantasy perspective, and he still finishes the 36. Uh, it was week two or three, I want to say. He has a high ankle sprain, and we know how big of an effect those can have on those guys who really rely on their quickness and their explosiveness to make plays that can really hamper guys um, who that's kind of their wheelhouse, the big plays. And so that clearly affected Davis down the stretch last year. He looked like he had kind of lost a step. And then he never really found that connection with Josh Allen that we saw at the end of the season before. I mean, everyone remembers that Chiefs game where he absolutely went off. It was either three or four touchdowns. I can't remember, but he still like looked like the best receiver on the field that night. And we know what his ceiling is. So the, the ceiling is really why. I'm interested because he's being drafted below his floor, but we all know what he can do. Last season, he was sixth in the NFL in average depth of target. He was 12th in total deep targets, and he was top 20 in air yards and red zone targets. So he's getting all those high leverage looks. Last season, he just didn't convert them, but I just don't see how it gets worse than last season. So if you can get him at a lower cost than where he finished last season, and he has this ceiling to absolutely explode and be a reliable flex. I don't really want to say wide receiver two, but I mean, you never really know. I mean, we, we saw what that guy did against Kansas city. So a guy who could end up scoring a bunch of touchdowns, catching a lot of deep balls. I don't really know why you wouldn't draft him where he's currently going, considering I just don't think it gets any worse. And uh, I would, I would, I'm with you too. Um, yeah. And one thing to add to that is the seven games before the high ankle sprain dating back to the year before he was averaging 19.7 points per game ahead of that. So you know, he was on a tear. Absolutely. And now you get to buy him at his floor instead of buying him at his ceiling. And you got to mix in the fact too, like not only did he get hurt, Josh Allen got hurt in a way that he couldn't yeah. sling it the way Josh Allen can sling it uh, for that second half of the season. So even if Davis got himself kind of healthy by mid year, it didn't matter because they weren't taking nearly as many aggressive deep shots. So, I'm 110% with you there. I'm, I'm ready to buy the dip. I'm ready. I got hurt, but I'm one that's willing to forgive. And I think that will definitely, uh, for you know, anybody that's willing to forgive Gabe Davis and go back to the well is going to be greatly rewarded for this cheaper price tag. I love that call. Absolutely. 
it's funny who we're willing to forgive and who we're not because for some reason I, I feel the same way. I'm, I've softened. I was irritated with him, but you know, time healed the wounds for me, and you know, now I'm I'm ready to be in the Daddy Davis game again. Not so much oh, yeah. Kyle Pitts, but yes. Anyway. Come back into my life, Daddy. I missed you. <laughs> I did, especially at that price, like he said. Um, Want to hit some honorable mention, guys? Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I just think most of the the rookies outside of uh, Addison and JSN, but with, like we mentioned earlier, the JSN injury, we don't really know what's going to happen with his price. But the, these are the rookies that are going primarily in this range, pick 100 to pick 150. But we we know that rookies can end up being one of the biggest values in drafts just because people are scared to draft the unknown. We don't really know what we're going to get out of Flowers or Quentin Johnston. So they're going in the 10th-ish rounds because people are just kind of scared. They don't know what role they're going to play in this offense. But these are two first-round rookies. Their, their draft capital is really high. And when they, in the case of Johnson, he's playing on what I think is going to be arguably the best offense in the NFL this year. So for him, the argument's pretty simple. I mean, he's in college at TCU. He showed he's a yards-after-catch monster. And now he gets to go play with Justin Herbert, who can sling the ball down the field. Uh, Johnston's no... Uh, he, he's he's not he's definitely not bad with contested catches. I'd say it's one of his best strengths, and I, I just think that's a perfect fit for him, where he can go in, play, be a part of a dominant offense, and really break out in his first year. And then when it comes to Flowers, um, a lot of people are talking about changes coming to that offense as well, with the arrival of Todd Monken allowing Lamar Jackson to control the offense more, sling the ball. So I think the the ceiling is also really high with him, just because of the offensive changes that we're going to see. And there's, I don't think there's a clear wide receiver one in that room. Rashad Bateman hasn't been able to stay on the field. Odell Beckham's 31 these days. He, I, I know we just talked about him. I mean, you never know. He is Odell Beckham Jr. He could come back. But I, I think given his price, you might as well take a stab on Zay Flowers as well. He's also a first-round talent. He, he showed what he could do at Boston College. And uh, I think he's worth a pick in this range. Yeah, those late rookies often end up being, you think about St. Brown just a couple seasons ago, they might take over half the year for them to break out. But when they finally do, especially in Johnson's case, the fact that he's uh, playing behind two potential injury-prone veterans in Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, if he steps into a number two, God forbid, a number one role within a Justin Herbert-led offense, he could go bananas and flowers from day one could be the guy there. Uh, and I'll talk about another rookie who's going a lot later than both of those guys. I saw Truth kind of cued it up for me already. He knew the the segue was in in transition. That's why the veteran over there, he recognizes it. I got to talk about Tank Dell as one of my favorite rookie sleepers and just overall wide receivers as well. In fact, he's my highest owned player in best ball as of today. What? That is going down serious? because I used to be getting him. Yes, it, it was. It, it's crazy. But he was my round 18. No, nobody was drafting him. So all of for that honor. Uh, so it was, it's between him, Romeo Dubs and James Conner actually, which is pretty strange and hideous. Daniel Jones also up there as well. Uh, and Antonio Gibson, who we've talked about it a bit, a bit, uh, a okay. bit here, but yeah, so Tank Dell, one of my favorite last round sleepers that you can take, uh, in your fantasy leagues, as mentioned, one of my highest owned players as of right now, my highest owned, uh, he was my round 18 stab in every best ball draft I did. And we're already, the secrets a bit out at this point. Uh, and people are starting to catch up to the fact that Tank Dell could light up leagues, given that he's now going two plus rounds higher 
uh, in fantasy drafts. So I have not been taking him at that price, but I love him as a last round Hail Mary where you'll likely get him in your home leagues. The secret's out after a big eight target, five catch, 65 yard, one TD. First uh, preseason game goes up two rounds in underdog drafts. All the camp, though, if people have been reading about it, coaches were raving his work ethic, how absurdly open he is all the time, how many big plays he was making each and every day. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's after the game saying, good to see Take make plays. We've seen him make those plays every day. Uh, So good to see him also do it in the game. He's going to be an explosive playmaker for us. And they'll certainly need as many explosive playmakers as they can get. The Texans, 3,001 air yards. That's first in the league vacated. Uh, We talked about that opportunity with the Packers, even more so here with the Texans. Air yards here, 73% of their air yards are up for grabs. And a whopping 374 targets, first in the league, are also up for grabs here with the Texans. So no clear number one receiver. I think Tank Dell, he's not built necessarily like a number one receiver, but he can get deep, uh, open deep. He can do it after the catch. We saw it all in the preseason games. He made deep explosive plays. He made people miss in the open field. Uh, And CJ Stroud banged the table for this kid saying after their combine workout together, I I want this kid. He, I love the way he runs his routes. I love the rapport we we established together and the team listened. They've traded up. They made sure to go get Tank Dell. So I think between those two already having that narrative coming into the season, the fact that they had all the rookie camps to work together, it just seems like they're locked in on the same page. And I love Tank Dell as the potential wide receiver one here for the uh, Texans. I don't know what to make of the Texans, man. Before we, before we go on to this, this next thing right here, can we talk Texans for just like 30 seconds real quick? Yeah, and it actually transitions to Mike's next receiver, too. So don't even worry about my honorable mention. I think Mike has him on the list for himself later, too. We agree what the the floor for the Texans is is just absolutely abysmal, right? Also, I love love that you're just drinking from, like, a bucket. Oh, yeah. (laughs) DiLorenzo said it's the 101 of water bottles. I love the two hands, (laughs) the double fist there. What what do you think think is the, the ceiling? for some of these Texans guys. Like, like, let's like, you know, Pierce Collins, like, do you think they could blow Uh, up? Is there any potential there? I mean, for their price tags, yes. Given that they all go so cheap, given the fact that the Texans are going to suck, that often ends up playing into fantasy production just because they're going to be trying to chuck and keep pace with teams that are absolutely demolishing them early and often. So I think, yes, with so many yards up for grabs and the the fact that they're going to be playing catch up, nearly every single week. It doesn't necessarily kill teams when they're they're just bad real life-wise. Oftentimes that's where some good fantasy production comes from. That's why everybody's so cheap here is it's a ugly on paper offense. It's a team that's probably not going to win a lot of games, but should somebody step up? And it's a big should. Maybe it's Tank Dell. Maybe it's the guy that, that Mike's about to talk about here too. If anyone does step up and claim like a true wide receiver one role, I don't care how bad their team is. 110 targets to 130 targets are 130 targets at the end of the day. Uh, And Stroud, and I'm sure you'll talk about him too as an Ohio State guy over there, should be a market upgrade over Davis Mills, over anything we've had at the quarterback position in the Texans. Should be, isn't, is. We'll see. Uh, But I'll I'll let Mike continue on with that because I know he's got a guy he wants to talk about too. All right. Yeah. um, Just the the overall ceiling of this offense. I mean, yeah, I think – that they're going to be playing from a game. The game script is definitely going to favor the pass catchers. They're going to be playing catch up a lot, but yeah. So the the top guy in this offense, or at least what should be as is projected to be right now is Nico Collins. Um, he's another guy that the discrepancy between his price, between redraft leagues and underdog is enormous. 
he was going around pick 115, I want to say, on underdog. Mm-hmm. But yep. uh, his composite ADP on in redraft leagues, he you can get him in the end of the 14th round, which is essentially free. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's a, an, an, an enormous value. He's the last wide receiver one that you can get in drafts. I mean, like in terms of the, the wide receiver one within their team. And uh, I, I just don't see why you wouldn't take a team's top option this late in drafts. It's the end, very end of the draft, one of your last picks. I think it's solid. Um, just now I'm diving into some of the statistics behind Collins. Uh, last year when he was on the field without Brandon Cooks, he was 20 fit or he had a 25% target per hour run rate, which was 12th among all wide receivers. If you take that on a full season, it was just a handful of games, but when Brandon cooks wasn't on the field and he was the clear top option there, he was uh, racking up targets and really being productive. Um, and he played nine full games last year in four of those games. He saw nine or more targets, which is kind of an insane number. I don't think he's going to do that. Maybe he hits it four times again next year. I don't think he's going to do that. But uh, nine targets is quite quite a large amount. And if he, he can keep up a similar pace to that, I think you talked about the 120 target mark. Like, yeah, he could easily get that. 120 targets is 120 targets. You can't really bat an eye at that, especially when you're getting him in the 14th round. <laughs> Ohio State just not paying yeah, the bills <laughs> I know. Uh, but just to, to wrap up. a great point, though. I mean, it is. Volume is volume, even in a shitty offense. And they, the coaches have talked about one that just that he's the team's leading target guy throughout camp, the go-to guy to move the chains, and how they also had him studying Julio Jones' tape because that's the the last time Kyle Shanahan's offense, which is what this offense is modeled after, uh, Bobby Slowick coming over from the 49ers. So they've had him watching Julio Jones. as like the last real big body guy to be in a Kyle Shanahan scheme. Of course, Nico Collins isn't prime Julio Jones, but – just that idea of a role. Last time Julio Jones was with Kyle Shanahan, he had over 180 targets. Like maybe, just maybe, he gets 120, 130 within that scheme. Um, whoever it ends up being, wide open opportunity, fresh rookie quarterback that ideally will get better and better as the year goes. Um, it could be Tank Dell. It could be Nuko Collins. I think taking stabs at this Texans receiver room. Maybe it's, God forbid, it's Robert Woods, the old unsexy veteran that just continues to get it done whenever he gets used. Maybe it's him, but I think some stabs at the wide receiver room. The only one I, I'm not really into there is John Mechie. Uh, we've seen him now playing behind Noah Brown, even with Tank Dell out in the second preseason game. Mechie still couldn't catch the field. So I know he's the guy a lot of people are tabbing as the next big breakout for the Texans. I, I like Nico Collins. I like Tank Dell at their prices. I even like Robert Woods as a last round guy. I'm not really into Mechie. It seems like he's fallen out of the rotation at this point. Uh, so that's the, the Texans receiver I'm not going after. Uh, it looks like he's back too. Sorry, I see. I see it again. <laughs> and his honorable mention guy is a guy that you've owned a fair amount of stock in in your life. Um, although maybe yes. not this year. Maybe, maybe not this year. Hold on, everything's getting messed up. Yeah, uh, I, Ohio State. All right, let me down here. I, I, they let me down with this Wi-Fi today. I, I guess they're getting used to all the kids being back on campus. But the last quick point I wanted to make about Nico Collins is um, there, there's nowhere to go but up for this offense. Last year, they ranked 32nd in yards per play, dead last. Uh, C.J. Stroud is an obvious step up from Davis Mills. And it can just – a lot of this is really just based on the price. When you're getting a wide, the number one option on a team in the 15th round, I, I just don't really see how you say no. But, yeah, this offense will improve. Nico Collins has a chance to see a good number of targets. So why not? But, uh, yeah, my honorable mention, DPJ, um, 
Browns wide receiver, another offense that I think is going to take uh, a step up this season. Uh, there's, there's no sugarcoating it. Uh, Deshaun Watson was abysmal last year. And I, I just really think that we, there, there haven't been many quarterbacks who played as well as Watson. I mean, he in years past had been an MVP candidate. People were making that discussion for him. And I don't really, I don't think he's going to have that steep of a drop off at this age. So I, I think this offense as a whole is going to be better than it was last year. And I think it'll be a little bit more pass heavy. I mean, you've seen them make the additions with Elijah Moore. But my my thought on DPJ is he, he's the deep target here. Uh, we saw him make some uh, explosive plays last year. And I think he's going to be the guy that Watson is going to look for when he airs the ball out. And on an offense that I think is going to be not top five in the league, but I think there will be ahead of league average in terms of scoring uh, by a decent margin. I, I think they're going to put up their fair share of points. Uh, I don't. I, I'm interested in investing in the deep option who could have a lot of scores. He might be a better best ball target, just considering what his 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 player archetype is. He's going to go for some deep touchdowns, and he might not give you consistent work week in and week out for your redraft leagues. But I think he's definitely someone you should consider. All right, let's hit honorable mention and let's talk one of one of the Wolves' past, I guess, lost loves. I mean, did, wasn't this your guy in in underdog or best ball last year for a while, Wolf? Yeah, yeah. So, so Mike was just ripping up uh, DPJ, and I, I thought they were all really good points. The only thing that's different, so I, I agree, Watson could take that next step. And last year, my whole argument for him was the last time we had Watson on a full season, he was the number one rated deep passer yeah. in the NFL. Right. So, so it definitely. I can see that argument being, well, I am worried now that Elijah Moore's there and apparently like the number one guy and Amari Cooper's also there. The Joku had himself a mini breakout last year. I do worry the volume will be consistent enough for DPJ, but I do love the player. Obviously last year, as you alluded to truth, he was one of my highest owned best ball guys. And he was one of the guys that actually came through. He ended up being in my lineup about five, six times, had a few yeah. real big spike weeks. And I think those will still be in place here as this offense plays at a faster pace and gets to another level. Should Watson take that step? That I still think is a big if and not something I'm betting a ton on in 2023 is uh, Watson becoming Watson again. We will see if that, that burns me. But in terms of my uh, my last few sleepers, the guys getting undrafted that I think really should be mentioned, I, obviously hedging my Daniel Jones is breaking out and becoming the, the diet Josh Allen this season. Well, then you're going to want some pass catchers. And I do think Darren Waller is obviously the number one guy that you really want to get round you know, six, seven there. Hammer him, but also there's going to be some pass catchers that take that rise with the Daniel Jones ship. My most intriguing one is Jalen Hyatt, the rookie. I think he's going to be the one to get the slowest start. He's not in the starting lineup as of now, but he brings by far the most game-breaking elements to this offense, game-breaking speed. We saw it on that 33-yard touchdown the other night. All camp, you bring seeing the clips of him getting deep. So he's already mixing in with the ones. I think he's going to be one of those guys they bring in for some pretty good designs, and then by the end of the year could take over that starting spot wherever that ends up being as a, a really nice pick. So I like Jalen Hyatt as the most long tail upside, but any of these guys, Paris Campbell starting in the slot, that was a role Richie James wrote up to be wide receiver 12 value once he took over the starting role in week 10 and beyond. And then we also have Hodgins who led the team in receiving touchdowns despite not playing there until week 11. So he could be a guy that has that great pre-established rapport. I love Darius Slayton, uh, the guy that dominated training camp targets behind 
Uh, only Darren Waller was apparently took his game to the next level. Talked to beat writers about how he really wants to prove he's a true number one receiver and deserving of the contract they gave him. It sounds like he's taken his game to another level. And I've always liked Darius Slayton, the player. So all of these guys, it might be tricky to know which week they blow up. I am worried it's going to be more of a spread the wealth attack outside of Darren Waller. Uh, but I think any of them are worth a stab as a last round pick to see you get a piece of this rising offense and see really if one of them emerges as Daniel Jones's go-to wide receiver. I love taking stabs at it, especially high at late with the upside. All right, Mike, you like Alec Pierce, Mims, Jaden Reed? Yeah, so my, my main guy here is Alec Pierce. Um, uh, he last year kind of took on this role in Indianapolis where he was their deep threat. And he, he's another guy, like I mentioned before, he's going a lot later in redraft than he is on underdog. Underdog, I want to say around the 150 range, but you in most home leagues should be able to get him with one of your last picks. If not your last pick, I want to say he's going pretty good, a good margin past pick. Uh, yeah, 180 or so, I think is what it's uh, is ADP. So yeah, I, I was seeing a little later passes. than that. Yeah. I was seeing a little later than that. But uh, regardless, um, he's the, the deep threat guy here in Indianapolis, and that plays in really well to Anthony Richardson's strengths. Um, Pierce has 4-3 speed. He led the team in average depth of target last year. His ADOT was 11.4. He set a team high, three receptions longer than 40 yards. And with Anthony Richardson there and his ridiculous arm strength, uh, it might just be just me being a, a little hopeful, but I'm just envisioning some some bombs going his way and Richardson airing the ball out to him. I mean, Richardson doesn't seem to, by any means uh, to be a conservative player, uh, at least from what he did in college and how he's been looking in early on here in the NFL. Uh, I think the Colts will be airing the ball out more than they did with uh, Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz and Phillip Rivers, that string of very old quarterbacks that, I think they'll be more inclined to push the down the ball downfield, and he's um, he's that guy. He he'll be the guy running deep, um, and there's even been talks of him expanding his role in this offense mm-hmm. and just becoming a more well-rounded receiver, not being just that deep target. But I think regardless, his role will at least remain the same of being that deep option for Anthony Richardson. And if he can connect on some big plays with Richardson and potentially even expand his role, I think he's a great pick in the last round of your draft. Yeah, a lot of lot that hype I just wanted to add about his expanded route tree and how much better he's looked on all routes to the point that a lot of people are asking could he be the number one here above even Michael Pittman uh, because of how impressive he's been how good his rapport looked with Anthony Richardson and in particular the red zone as well was an area he's been dominating camp Uh, so I'm a huge huge fan of Alec Pierce I think this is a great call and an offense that's modeled after the Eagles strong run game tons of deep shots he fits this mold perfectly so I'm a really really big fan I think it's a great call yeah, and then just some some quick comments on Marvin Mims and Jaden Reed. Uh, Marvin Mims, you've seen his price go up a little bit after they cut Hamler and lost Tim Patrick. Uh, I think he Marvin Mims has a good chance to solidify himself as the guy who is the third option in three wide receiver sets. And if you think that there's a lot of things that have to go a little bit right for um, Mims to be productive from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, first, you have to believe in Russell Wilson coming back to where he was. You have to believe that Sean Payton's going to be able to turn this offense around. But it, it, I, I think someone – I'm someone who thinks that they will, in fact, take a step forward. Wilson will at least look closer to his former self than he did last year. I mean, last year was a disaster. But if Mims is on this offense that's going to be playing a lot of really good teams where they're going to have to throw the ball a lot to keep up when they play Kansas City 
um, twice. They play the Chargers twice. They're going to be throwing the ball a lot. So if he can solidify himself in this in those three wide receiver sets, and maybe we, who knows we see him um, play in front of Cortland Sutton, who knows? But um, I, I think he's a, a great look as well, especially with the role he has the chance to take on. And then Jaden Reed, the rookie out of Michigan State. Um, I know you talked about liking Dobbs, and everyone assumes Christian Watson is going to assume the wide receiver one there in green Bay, but uh, he, he projects to be a, a solid slot option. And um, if, if you, once again, you got to kind of believe in Jordan love as a passer, we don't really know what we're getting there, but um, as a slot option for Jordan love, especially considering he's your last pick, um, he, he could end up being paying off. All right. Before we get into tight ends, uh, I just want to ask one more time if you're around, if you're listening, if you're watching, if your eyes or ears are on us at all, give us a like or a thumbs up or whatever you could give us. It really does help us out. Um, and we've been on for about an hour and a half and we're running into tight ends right now. Should be done by the time Mike's got to get to class. I also got to go around that same time. But it looks like we don't have as much tight end material as we do for some of the other positions. We're going to kick things off with a guy the Wolf and I are always strangely high on, or at least kind of open to being high on, Tyler Higby. Break it down. I'm actually – Mike, do you want to go first just to be safe in case you do have to book it to class? I'm happy to let you Uh, take the floor with your first two picks. Why why don't you go first and then I'll – in case you got to run, I'll hit Higby. So everybody has – wait with bated breath on the Tyler Higby take. I know everybody out there is dying right now. You're going to make me wait on Higby? But uh, we will get you your Higby. Let's hear, Mike, what you got for your tight end sleepers first. This is also nothing super exciting. Um, Dalton Schultz is someone that I think you can target if you miss out on those elite handful of tight ends. Like You might not like Pitts, but if it gets much past Pitts, there's not too many exciting options left. And I think Dalton Schultz is a a good guy to target if you wait. Um, He's going as the tight end 11, going in the middle of the 10th round right now. And he's since he became uh, a consistent factor within the Dallas offense, he's been a reliable tight end one. Uh, he gets those underneath targets. He finds the end zone and he, he's been nothing. He, he's been nothing super exciting, but what you can you, you won't take a zero from Dalton Schultz in your, in your tight end slot. And if you're streaming tight ends, you know how frustrating that can be. You can pick up a guy who went for 12 points the week before, and then he goes for 1.4 when you finally pick him up off the waiver wire and you try and put him in your lineup. And you're not going to be seeing that with Dalton Schultz. I think especially we've talked about those Texans wide receiver rooms, the Texas wide receiver room earlier, but I don't think either of us would really disagree. It's not a very strong wide receiver room at all. And given that pretty weak wide receiver room, I think it's it's well within the range of possibilities for Schultz to maintain like a 20% target share, maybe hit that 100 target mark. And he's just a really solid floor play overall. If you're looking for that guy who's going to get you consistent production in your tight end slot and find the end zone here and there to provide you those spike weeks, I think Dalton, Dalton Schultz should be your guy if you wait on tight end. Absolutely. As we, just to reiterate, 3,000 air yards, 374 targets, both vacated, both lead the NFL. Tons of opportunity for him. And I love your honorable mention here too. Yeah. Uh, Dalton Kincaid. I think he's someone who's drafted in a similar range, but instead of being more of the floor play, like Schultz is, I think Dalton Kincaid is really more of the ceiling play. Um, I watched him here and there when he was at Utah and he was uh, the, a pretty big factor in that offense. And he was 
a, a game-changing tight end. There's not that many of them within college football, but he was one of those guys who was certainly a factor on the offense when he was playing the tight end position. But what's got everyone excited about Dalton Kincaid this year and what's really pushed him up draft boards is the fact that he might like see this slot receiver role and not play as a true tight end. And obviously what's not to love about seeing consistent targets from Josh Allen and being a part of this Bills offense. So a lot of it is really driven by what role he might play in this offense if they do end up, end up splitting him out and not lining up um, on the line. But there ha- what I will say is there's been a history of tight end, rookie tight ends not really succeeding in the NFL, at least from a fantasy perspective. So that's what really makes me hesitant. But if you're looking to take someone with upside in this range, like in the late tight end area, uh, you don't get one of those early on guys and you're looking for upside instead of a floor like you would get with Schultz. I think Kincaid's one of those guys that's given the offense and the chance that he might not be your traditional tight end. I think he's All right, a great do we want to hit um, do we want to hit Mike's deep sleepers before we get into your guys at all? I mean, are you going uh, to, I'm, I'm good to wait. I'm good to wait. All righty. Sweet. Right, well, I mean, and I, I I figured the up. public was probably getting a little bit upset waiting for the Higby take. So, <laughs> and I, and I think I just want to mention with, uh, with Mike's guy too, Dalton Kincaid to kind of build on the rookie tight end narrative. It is well-established rookie tight ends typically struggle, get out of the gate slow there. They have the blocking assignments, the receiving assignments. It takes a, usually a year at least for them to get their footing. So I agree with that. It's definitely worth mentioning, but I think this could be the year we see that buck the trend. You already mentioned Kincaid more of a receiver. So you take off kind of the blocking responsibilities off of him. That's great for fantasy news. Three catches, 45 yards, grabs a 15 and 21 in preseason week two, including a 21 yarder uh, from to convert the moves on a second and 16 plays five traditional tight end snaps, six from the slot, one lined up wide, one lined up in the backfield. And that's what you're talking about there. They're, they're labeling it, uh, 11 and a half personnel because they're not quite calling it two tight end sets, but they're not calling it quite three receiver sets. The, the third receiver, the slot receiver for the bills. We loved Isaiah McKenzie last year, mostly because of the volume that position under Cole Beasley had seen nearly eight targets a game. McKenzie obviously didn't work out. That's why they traded up. They didn't love any receiver in this class. They trade up, they get a six foot five guy that could be a red zone terror and slot receiver. I love the Kincaid call. And I also see Sam Laporta, almost like that role, but a little bit lighter given it's not quite as an explosive as an offense as the bills, but still a top five scoring offense. The Lions last year, he's looking Sam Laporte as a top three potential target earner behind ASB behind Jamar Gibbs. And then of course, Jameer Gibbs. And then after that, Jamison Williams is out the first six weeks. Who knows if he's really going to ever regain a role at, at that point. Anyways, Brock Wright had multiple two touchdown games for this Lions offense. Goff does like his tight ends when they get in close to the red zone. I think Laporta could, he's also similar to Kincaid playing more of a big bodied slot type of role uh, with this team. So I think Laporta, they're they not making him earn the role. He's already a, a every down tight end for this team, not playing in preseason action because they, they like him so much. They trust that he'll be their tight end one all year. So I think this is the year rookie tight ends between Kincaid, between Laporta, and even want to toss out Luke Musgraves there. For the Packers, leading the team in preseason targets so far, played 100% of the snaps with Jordan Love so far. All the beat writers talk about what a big mismatch he's been in practice, bringing in an element they haven't had since Jermichael Finley, if anybody has played way back then, uh, the athletic freak Jermichael Finley back in the days. They're saying it's given given them glimpses of him, how the way that, that Musgraves dominating the scene ball. So between Kincaid, Laporta, and Musgraves, I think this could be the year rookie tight ends really do buck that trend uh, and, and stamp their place as every week starters in fantasy football. So I thought those all built well together. 
as a rookie tight end. Uh, th- this is the year. But my number one sleeper tight end, the one that everybody's sitting here, why have you not talked about Higby yet? We've been dying and waiting. It's so unsexy, but oftentimes unsexiness is what leads to fantasy values. Like your Dalton Schultz take, unsexy, and yet I love that one. Right underneath him, I have Tyler Higby as a guy that could blow up. Uh, and I think he brings actually a little bit more sex appeal than Dalton Schultz, uh, which isn't that hard to do, actually, come to think about it. But I think in that Rams offense and some of the glimpses we've seen from Higby, he does have a little bit more of a ceiling. Um, for one, we've already seen him blow up. Last year, the fantasy championship week, he had over 30 points. Uh, so we've seen those glimpses. I mean, all of us can remember uh, who've been playing fantasy since 2019, that one crazy stretch where he was the alpha of this offense and had over 19 fantasy points for five straight weeks. We've seen Higby do that and just be an absolute monster behind Cooper cup. I really don't think there's a reliable number two van Jefferson. I, I'm intrigued by, I think he's a good late sleeper uh, wide receiver, but the one reliable guy that, that Matt Stafford's played with and has a rapport with um, is definitely Higby more so than that. So I really like him all the training camp reports, you know, uh, the beat writer writing in five years of covering the team, uh, I've only seen four of Tyler Higby's training camps, but he looks by far the quickest I've ever seen in the best shape he's ever been, uh, making the most of his opportunities in the red zone and goal line sequences, getting off the line really well. Higby saying, I'm pushing myself to have my greatest year yet. And this is a year after he set uh, career highs in 105 targets and 71 catches. Never scored more than five touchdowns, but as a six foot five guy, it's kind of like what we talked about with with Kittle yesterday. Like he's, he's a, if he's definitely moving better at the goal line right now, there's no reason he can't catch eight to 10 touchdowns. Uh, we've seen those stretch runs where he does look like he's about to go berserk for eight to 10. And then he just kind of fades off into the distance. But with Stafford back with Mike LaFleur also now calling the plays who without Zach Wilson of the jets led the NFL in pass attempts. I think more passing volumes happening. There's more volume up for grabs behind Cooper cup than ever before. Uh, so I think he'd be plenty of spike week potential, plenty of just steadiness with a top 12 tight end, 41% of the games, the last two seasons, I think you have his best year yet at his cheapest price in a long time. Can we uh, maybe get in the merch store? Can we maybe get a shirt that says more sex appeal than Dalton Schultz? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a real big seller. <laughs> Everybody. Wear, that, wear that around. Okay. <laughs> and, that, and then on the back, it could just say it's a low bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, my kids are going crazy and I have to run a little bit early. So uh, I'm going to leave you guys to finish up the tight end sleeper two parts. But it's been a real pleasure hanging out with you guys for an hour and a half this morning. That was a lot of fun. I learned a bunch. See you, Truth. Have a good one. Absolutely. O- always a blast, Truth. Thanks for uh, coming in this morning and good luck with the chaos. <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll transition over there. I'll remove our, uh, our, our legendary host, the truth here. And uh, Mike, I know you probably have to get running, so I'll, I'll hit the mailbag on my own shortly, but I'd love to hear your, your last couple takes here on tight ends. You wrote down uh, Irv Smith and Jake Ferguson, two names I'm very intrigued by. So let's, uh, let's yeah. see what you got on them. Uh, Irv Smith, uh, mainly I'm interested in it. Once again, it, it may be a bit of a homer take, but uh, I'm interested in him because of his move to Cincinnati. Uh, Joe Burrow is running what I like to call the tight end factory over there in Cincinnati. He's churned out two guys who were on one year prove it deals and got them long-term deal, uh, long-term contracts. Uzama signed with the jets and Hayden Hurst signed what I believe was a three-year deal with the Panthers this off season. Um, he's just, he's turned tight ends who are kind of forgotten about and looked past into 
guys who are provide meaningful pr- production for both fantasy and for NFL teams. Uh, last year, Harris finished the season with 70 targets, 54 receptions, 439 yards and two scores, which is nothing crazy, but he did have a handful of weeks where he contributed to fantasy rosters and especially those weeks where he found the end zone. But I think Irv Smith is a step up from Hayden Hurst and just in terms of his athletic profile and what his skill set might contribute, especially from a fantasy perspective. Um, when he was in Minnesota, Irv Smith was used pretty, pretty heavily as a tight end target. Last year, before he got hurt, I believe he played just eight games. And in those eight games, he had 36 targets, but seven of them were red zone targets. So they're looking to get him the ball near the goal line and near the end zone. And with an offense like Cincinnati's, red zone targets are incredibly valuable. I mean, they're scoring at one of the highest rates in the NFL. And if he can find the end zone five to ten times, I don't know if double digits is, I don't think that's possible for him, but five-ish times, I think he can end up being a guy who has some pretty solid weeks for fantasy. And like I said, Hurst had 70 targets last year. Irv Smith has never had 70 targets or even 50 targets in a single season. So what he could do with his volume as the tight end one in Cincinnati, I think his cost is certainly certainly in line with where uh, the upside is for him in Cincinnati. Absolutely. Just needs to stay healthy, big athletic freak and explosive offense. That's typically the profile of a breakout tight end. Uh, yeah. Jake Ferguson, not quite the athletic freak of him, but similar no. an explosive athlete that, I mean, not an explosive athlete, but similar explosive offense that he could potentially grow into. You like Jake Ferguson a bit, huh? For the Cowboys. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think he's a, a better like best ball option where you're drafting a handful of tight ends as opposed to one, maybe two. But uh, like, if you go to late round tight ends, I don't think he's a bad look. Uh, like I said earlier, Dalton Schultz maintained uh, a role in this offense where he was fantasy relevant just about every single year where he was the tight end one. And I mean, even in the past, we've seen guys like Gavin Escobar and Jeff Swain, like they, they catch a couple of touchdowns throughout the year and they, they end up having at least sort of like that. There's a lot of opportunities for tight ends in this offense is what I'm saying. And I think he's the most intriguing athlete and just all around tight end um, in terms of talent level in this tight end room right now. And given his basically zero price, I think he's worth the stab that he beats out these other tight ends and is the clear tight end one in Dallas because we've seen that that role can provide some solid consistency. 100%. Yeah, Schultz isn't anything special, but he carved out a nice role. And we saw in the first preseason game, Ferguson, three catches, 38 yards, second on the team in receiving yards. It's a role that is a big yeah. factor in this offense. So even if he's nothing special, he also did get invited to tight end university with Kelsey and Kittle and all those guys too this offseason. So if they see something in him, I'll trust the opinions of the best tight ends in the league. And I, I got to assume that didn't anything but hurt, you know, anything but help. Uh, Jake Ferguson's trajectory to, to work out with those guys. So I think it's a great last round stab. A lot of people worried about Luke Schoonmaker coming in, but he hasn't practiced yet. So I think Ferguson's a really, really solid call there. Absolutely. Well, Mike, I think I got to let you go at this point, right? I imagine yep. you got to sprint off the class. So uh, cheers. Yeah, it's a blast of the show. Uh, busts on Friday. Yep. You in for one more with us? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I've got some names that I'm going to get real excited about. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, Bust is always one of the 
that's the one that people will always come back to the most. When, when you say something like Jacobs, I said it was going to be a bust last year. Oh boy, did oh, I get man. raked over the coals. So you got to have your thick skin ready, but I know you're ready for it. So hell yeah. I let's will. Go, I'll, have some, I'll have some names to throw out tomorrow or on Friday. Right. I'll see you then. I can't wait. Have a good rest of the, t- uh, the day, Mike. Thanks as always. Thank for you, you too. Thanks. Cheers. Um, all right, you guys. So I'll wrap up our stream here with my last couple tight end sleepers. Uh, and then we'll get to the mailbag. So any other questions you guys have, bring them on in. I'll make sure to uh, answer that for you as well. Um, but my last two tight end sleepers that I wanted to bring up uh, to wrap up the stream. The first is Juwan Johnson. And I know this is a very crowded room, Taysom Hill. You know, tight end three in fantasy scoring last year. It almost all came of one week, you know, a 40 point week from him. So he makes sense in some best ball leagues, but the steadier guy was definitely Juwan Johnson in particular over his last seven games of last season. Nobody finished hotter than him. He had seven touchdowns in his last seven games. That was number one among tight ends. He had five of his seven games as top 10 finishes. 71% of his time was top 10. Four of those games were top five, and two of those games were top two. So it just goes to show you Juwan Johnson was hitting a really impressive ceiling to close last year. All of the preseason hype has been he's been one of the best, biggest targets for Derek Carr. Derek Carr himself telling his brother on NFL Live that Juwan Johnson for fantasy owners is the sleeper you guys want. Uh, They were connecting for long games in that first preseason action every day in camp and joint practice against the Chargers. Boom, another Juwan Johnson touchdown. So a proven touchdown score. I love converted wide receivers that become those athletic big body move around tight ends. And a guy that's proven to be very capable of hitting number one ceilings as early as the seven last weeks of last season. I think he carries that breakout appeal right into this year. And I think he's definitely a guy. If you miss it on early tight ends, can hold your position down for you. Especially you maybe balance it out with Tyler Conklin. Uh, no one gets excited about him. Though. Like, that big man bun. Love that when you see him streaking down the field. But playing with Aaron Rodgers has typically been a solid boom for tight ends uh, if they fit his system well. Look no further than Robert Tunyon. 11 touchdowns just a couple seasons ago. And even last year, Tunyon was a top 20 tight end with Rodgers with only two touchdowns. Still had himself a solid year coming off of surgery and whatnot. Uh, still had a decent year, and Conklin's going outside the top 25 tight ends. You can't think he'd match a top 20 season if a, a banged-up Robert Tunyon can. Conklin himself averaged nearly 10 points per game. That would have been top 12 among tight ends last year in games without Zach Wilson, a plus-three boost to that. So I could see a, a mini Robert Tunyon, seven to eight touchdowns coming from Aaron Rodgers, coming to Tyler Conklin, who's at, it's sneakily dangerous after the catch. Two tight ends I have definitely been scooping up late in drafts so that wraps up our sleepers wolf pack i hope you enjoyed all that you can find lists of these sleepers at rotostreetjournal.com you can find my rankings at rotostreetjournal.com on to the mailbag now where we got 25 questions keep them coming in wolf pack we can try to hit even more at this point uh, we got campanelli good morning wolf and wolf pack glorious wednesday when you start the day with the soothing is not the word i would use for my voice but i appreciate it david campanelli great to see you brother as always we all want the truth Mo needs needs a nap call. Just catching up to him already. <laughs> I love it. Um, now Mo is awesome. Uh, getting a college student up at, at 9 a.m. is no easy task as a former uh, college student myself. I think he's been absolutely crushing it uh, on these early morning streams. We appreciate him joining. What a way to enjoy my coffee with the R Shaker. That's what we're going for, the morning coffee shows. It's the only week we can do it. I'll be back to school next week. But you guys are enjoying it. This is something I think next summer – I'd love to do it. I can do it in the morning, keeps the day open for writing and then whatever else I want to do. I love these early morning streams. So if there's something the, the 
they like here. I, I'm into it. Took Kelsey his rookie year, my last pick. Yeah, uh, that, that's a pretty ridiculous sleeper right there. Uh, oh, man, that's unbelievable, DiLorenzo. So talk about some nice sleepers there. Anybody else in the comment? Uh, uh, we got a few of them coming in here. I love some of these classic throw throwouts. Uh, Wolf is wire as coffee, but then we got a next sleeper here. Ruben Drones. What a toss out there. So I uh, think that's a phenomenal sleeper. Was that one of the, the first original Mike Shanny backs? That was the, the sleeper that you'd always go, who's going to be the backfield horse for Mike Shanahan is what you really needed to know. So I, I love that. That's a great, uh, great call though. Um, so, so good stuff there. Uh, only 11 inch, not bad. I forget which quarterback that's referring to. So sounds like you're helping us make one of our sleeper points. Uh, so, so that's intriguing as well. Might be Gino. Actually, is probably what you're getting at with the, the deep. Uh, how impressive he was as a deep thrower, and still only throwing 11 of those. Um, I need a huge amount of money on that on that bet on DJ. So, oh yeah, that, that's right, uh, Campanelli. A great bet uh, indeed, and, and we're going to be betting some more money on DJ for sure. Take AR early and then take Gino late. That's what I. I think that's a great call. Good balance of floor ceiling. That's why we like to. I think me and Mike complement each other pretty well with our sleeper picks um, today. So I think Richardson early. Got all that Konami upside and a nice safe floor, Gino, if it doesn't pick it. Or even if you don't want to go – because to do that, so you'd have to go round 10-11 probably at quarterback. If you don't want to do that type of investment, you go AR early, Brock Purdy. You know, Brock Purdy late, nice safe floor uh, that you can take in your last round too. So I'm I, not opposed to going 10-11 at QB, but if there was a receiver you loved and you you didn't want to pass him up or running back dubs, that you know, whoever it might be, um, I don't mind getting Purdy as my nice high floor quarterback later too. I like the sweet smell of Danny Dimes love <laughs> coming from the boys of Massachusetts. Trust me, Gonzo. Uh, this is where you know I am as impartial as can be because there's nothing I want to do more than just dump all over Danny Jones. Uh, but no, he's he's an absolute monster. And fantasy-wise, uh, maybe that's the, the new wife's bias coming into me as a Giants fan herself. I'm trying to give myself something to root for, but I truly do believe a diet Josh Allen breakout uh, isn't Danny Dimes' future. It, it pains me to say it as a New Englander. Absolutely. Uh, first time I've been able to, hey, great to see you, Michael. Honestly, we haven't had a ton of streams. It's been a huge, crazy, amazing offseason. Got married, had honeymoon. Uh, not typically how I do my summers. Loved every second of it. So I have been missing the boys, though. So it's not like you've missed a ton of us, Michael. We'll be going live again Friday, though. I'll probably do a draft as well tomorrow uh, around 10 a.m. So Check us out, and then I'll definitely be doing the, the regular rotation throughout the, the regular season. Great to see you again, Michael. Um, David, what's up? Uh, we when we get the, I don't know if we're going to get it this year. I know I've got a lot of questions about it. I wish I had done it. I, I prioritized my projections earlier this offseason. I recognize that's probably not the thing that people want the most. I've gotten a ton of DMs. When's the draft guide coming out? Uh, when's your playbook? I, I'll just say I don't think it's happening. Uh, school starts next week. Most of drafts are this weekend. I, uh, it's, it's tough, David. I apologize in advance. I, I wish I could get it out there for the people, uh, but it'll be back next year. How about that? I promise I'll get out a lot earlier next year too. Uh, good morning, Bo's Mo included. Hey, <laughs> Mitch saying good morning to the mic. Uh, notice the Buckeye shirt. Oh yeah. He's OSU you boy. So him and CJ uh, definitely love that. Me as a Michigan guy myself, not so much. Uh, go Chiefs, not <laughs> week 17, Bengals Chiefs. I cannot wait for that matchup, Mitch. Um, so, yeah, that, the AFC, what a division this year. Um, I mean, even the AFC East, what a conference. Like the, the Bills, the Dolphins, what if Rodgers is the real deal? Uh, oh, man. 
mid late rounders from Washington, Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's that ended up being the case. Uh, I, I'm buying more so the Washington offense under the enemy, um, but I think it could be fun. And I know Charlie, you know all about Sam Howell there, the UNC guys. So um, there's some upside there. There really is. I think he could be a great number two QB for people. Um, this year will be my very first time doing a dynasty. Oh. It's a lot. Uh, top three pointers for going into Dynasty Draft. So, Mark, uh, we do have a Dynasty show. It's not with me. It's with our guys, uh, Dane and Emery. Good show, though. Very, very good show. Those guys know what they're doing. Dane's Dynasty ranks are on the site. I trust him. I really, really like his stuff. So uh, I would check his stuff out. I think the biggest thing that I've learned over these three years is you got to prioritize the youth, and it's not about winning now. You could try to go all in and get a – get a Henry and Kelsey and and go for that. But it really is about playing the long game. And uh, in particular, what's helped me, like my backfield is now Saquon, Tony Pollard. I drafted Tony Pollard two years ago, knowing Zeke was a free agent in two years, studying contracts of like those aging veterans and who's exciting young guys that might be going cheaper. uh, That's what you need to do. But prioritizing the the youth over the win now mentality. One of my biggest mistakes so far was I took um, Tyree Kill over Justin Jefferson. Jefferson was just a sophomore coming off a great year, but I'm like, oh, I'm going to have the number one receiver for the Chiefs for at least the next five years gets traded. And obviously Tyreek's been great, but he's already talking about how he might retire at 30. And uh, I would obviously, if I could go back, would much rather have um, Justin Jefferson. So you, you can't prioritize similar trait to any redraft league. You don't go off of last year's production, but you really have to have that foresight and look at, okay, who in two, three years might be dominating this league, who might be trapped behind a veteran but could really take it take it over. Um, lots of good resources out there, though, in terms of like productive struggle versus when do you go all in. Um, I, I'm not the best dynasty mind in the game, though. I, I'm more of a redraft best ball guy. So uh, I would just say prioritizing the youth, trying to keep the, your, your um, that balance of how can I win now but also keep the farm system ready to go. That's what makes it so fun uh, in betting on those type of guys. And trying to just find things uh, ahead of time. Um, Amante Brown is a guy that I, I went in on early. A lot of people sell, sell, sell. It's all buy low, sell high. It takes a whole new meaning when you're talking about guys that it's going to be your whole career over. Um, and trying to find my only other tip would be trying to find the people that are really obsessed with rebuilding. There's always a couple of dynasty owners that seem to just want to be in a productive struggle and always be rebuilding. Uh, find those guys and try to keep selling them. Some of the, you know, the John, like this year I traded John Mechie and Alec Pierce to get Debo because the guy didn't want to, um, he, he believed in the long tail upside of those two and it didn't great, but I knew he was kind of a, a rookie lover, uh, wants more of the unknown. And I got myself a guy that could maybe put my t- team over the edge um, this season. Did Jeff Wilson body page? <laughs> I kissed him at the altar before kissing uh, Hillary. Yes, uh, David. Absolutely. Jeff Wilson body pillow was there. <laughs> Can't sleep without him. Good episode. Thank you, Brett. Great to see you. Uh, I'm tra- Tanks and Spears, baby. That's, that could be. I actually drafted Tank and Spears in my first draft of, uh, of home leagues last night. Maybe that will be my team name, Tanks and Spears, baby. It just seems threatening. I absolutely love it. <laughs> my man got that McDonald's Wi-Fi. I know. I don't know what's happening over there at Ohio State. They're not paying for their uh, their students. Kareem Hunt, Nafa. Uh, I, I'm with you, Brett. I don't know much. I, I didn't love – I liked almost all of Mike's sleepers. The cream hunt one we moved on from quick. I didn't. I don't know if there's much to, to dig into. I don't think there's much of a player there still. The only thing that would be interesting if he lands in Indy 
and there's just a volume back. Because at the end of the day, volume's the more important thing. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. I think he's washed and cooked, and that's why the Browns weren't any interested in him. <laughs> Handguns with benefits, new team name. I mean, it's it's a great way to think about things, though, right? Because obviously, we all know handcuffs. You know, the guy goes down, you got a, a stud starter for you. But if you can find the handcuffs that also bring the standalone benefits, uh, the value you might be able to toss in your flex or RB2 in a pinch, those are the guys you, you absolutely love. Jerome Ford, a falling knife will never happen. How could you be out uh, on Spears but in on Ford? <laughs> oh, man, Brett's not a fan of Mo, it seems, right now. I like it. Call him out. Um, I do actually like Ford, though, um, given uh, I think Spears is 10 times the athlete and 10 times the player. So I, I prefer Spears 10 out of 10 times. Um, but I do also love the backup narrative in the Cleveland offense has always been good in Ford. I, I think he's actually legit. Yeah, I really do think he's a player. Absolutely. Wolf, what's up, Mr. Trey Sarosinko? Always good to see Pitbull in on the streams. Acquired Alec Pierce and Trey Lance in Dynasty this offseason for Russ and Darius Slayton. Uh, like him with AR-15. I think that's a great play. Um, I, I hate Russ. So the one thing is, like, I don't know what to believe in with Trey Lance at all. Um I do love the long tail stash of Alec Pierce, though. I, I could see him hitting those moon shots with AR-15, developing into a more complete receiver. I'm a huge fan of Alec Pierce. It was tough to trade him earlier. I don't know what to make of Trey Lance in Dynasty. I think, I guess it's okay, Stab. It's clearly not going to happen with San Fran, I don't think, at this point. And that's where the, the long, the biggest upside would have been is in a Shanahan mobile threat monster. That clearly is no longer on the table, unless Brock Purdy really falls on his face. And I just don't know that Trey Lance will ever develop into what people are hoping. But, I mean, there's glimpses. There really are. So it sounds like you might be in the middle of a rebuild anyways with that type of move. And I think it's a, an interesting interesting play, DiLorenzo. Can't wait to punt QB and smash my Superflex League with Dimes, Gino, and Howell. I, I mean, Charlie, you absolutely can get away with that. I personally in Superflex do recommend trying to get one of those anchor QBs because, I mean, those three could all definitely pan out. And if they do, You've loaded up at all the following skill talent. That, that is a viable play. It really is. Um, I personally, especially if I'm at the top, I can't pass on the big three of Allen, of Hertz, of Mahomes. And even in the bottom of the first, you know, Herbert falling, Burrow. If I can get an anchor and then get a couple of these late sleepers, I love that. I, I have a hard time doing both of my QBs. It's just so hard, especially if the guy that drafts Mahomes then takes – uh, let's say Herbert falls to him in round two as well. It, it can get ugly. So I personally like to get at least an anchor and then play the sleeper game. Uh, so, so you're picking 12. So yeah, that might be the, you know, the Jefferson Cooper cup or Jefferson Kelsey, and then just play the sleeper game. Everybody else gets their number ones. That could be the play, Charlie. We'll just see. Uh, absolutely. Well, Wolfpack, thank you again so much on your way out. If you haven't hit that thumbs up button, it really does help us get out to more people, continue to grow sub. And of course, if you like what you heard and you're not part already, we are at, of course, rotorstreetjournal.com. We breed and feed you fantasy wolves. All the content you can find will be up there. Thanks again so much for everybody tuned in this morning. We'll be back with busts on Friday. I'll probably sneak in a draft tomorrow as well, uh, just to keep the content going as you guys enter draft season this weekend and beyond. And a wolf of fancy sheep be the wolf guys. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, oh, oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go. But at least we stole the show. At least we stole the show. At least we stole the show.
old-fashioned football right there, folks.